views, comments, stories, and opinions shared within this podcast are our own or those of our guests and in no way represent the views of the companies, associations, or organizations that any of us may work for or represent. All stories, events, and tales shared within this episode may or may not have happened in the manner in which they were told. They may or may not have even happened at all. The details have been changed to protect the innocent and the guilty alike. This is Squawk Ident. Ladies and gentlemen, on behalf of the flight crew here, looks like we're headed into a little bit of a storm system, seeing it on weather radar. Air traffic control advised us flights in front of us have reported a bit of a bumpy ride. If you could please sit in your seats with your seatbelts fastened until we get through. Here at the Airlines, we have basically two options for dealing with storm systems. We could fly around them, or basically suck it up and go right through them. If you prefer to deviate around the storm, this does require all passengers to purchase the $25 storm deviation fee. If you haven't done so, you can do so with your credit card or debit card. Just swipe it above your head there in the credit card slot. And we'll be deviating as soon as we make the $2,900 quarter that we're short on. Uh, should be entering the storm cell in about five minutes, so we'll talk amongst yourselves and uh, maybe you can work together. Once again, we have the airlines. Thanks for choosing us. We'll be back in a bit. You're listening to Squawk Ident, an aviation podcast that explores the many pathways to an aviation profession, the challenges that a professional aviator can expect in today's marketplace, and we share many stories along the way. I'm your host, Aviator Tony, a professional airline pilot currently flying for a U.S. legacy airline with close to 20 years on the flight line. Welcome aboard Flight 124 of the Squawk Head In podcast, recorded on the 27th of December, 2022, from the Aviator Sound Studios from somewhere in Southern California. On today's flight, Aviator Tony, Rob D., and Alex D. discuss their 2022 holiday flight experiences. Get ready, it's going to be good. We explore turbulence, the recent uptick in injuries caused by airliners encountering such turbulence, and we ask the question, is there a wrong way to wear your seatbelt? Also, we discuss Denver's weather causing ramp agents to walk off the job, abandoned dogs at airports, Spirit Airlines' new partnership with L3 Harris, and we wrap up Season 4 of the Squawk Eyed In podcast with some of our favorite moments. So stick with us as we cover all this and more on this, the 124th episode of the Squawk Eyed In podcast. Joining us today is a superb aviator and Squawk Ident podcast co-host. He is a former international professional racquetball champion, a member of the 9G Club at AMP and Aviox Tech, an RCF rounder, a boat skipper, a commercial drone operator, and currently an Airbus pilot for Legacy Airlines. The name we use here on the show is an alias to our employer, a U.S. mainline carrier. Joining us from his home podcast studio, where he is thawing out after working a trip that was in the recent Arctic air mass that affected most of the country. From somewhere in Flower Mound, Texas, help us in welcoming our very own Mr. Rob D. Rob, how you doing? I'm doing good, man. It's good to be back on the podcast. Um, I'm almost out of firewood. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, temperature is supposed to get up into the 70s tomorrow or thir- uh, Thursday. So going from 20s to 70s in a week, that's amazing. Yeah, you know, uh, everyone I know from Texas says, if you don't like the weather, just hang out for about 15 minutes. That's true, man. It's so true. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, uh, 
good to be back. Happy uh, holidays. Merry Christmas to y'all. And um, let's get the show started. Yes, thank you. And I'm looking forward to hearing all about uh, your experience in the frozen tundra. I'm sure that uh, we've all <laughs> we've all been there this week, and it was very interesting to see the the fluctuations there in the weather. And here to also join us is another exceptional aviator and Squawk Head and co-host. He is a U.S. Navy Reserve's Chief Information Systems Technician, Certified Flight Instructor and Embraer 175 Pilot for Sandpiper Regional, the alias to one of Legacy Airlines' wholly owned regional airlines. Joining us from his podcast studio in Temecula, California, where he's recovering from a four-day trip implosion due to the Arctic blast that touched every corner of the country. Wow. Please help us in welcoming to the show our very own Mr. Alex D. Alex, how you doing? I'm good. I'm glad to be uh, in Southern California where it's uh, a little warmer than the rest of the world today um, and yesterday. It, you know, it's nice to be here and, you know, talking about moving out to Dallas and everything like that. Like, I'm a little nervous now that Dallas was uh, in Chicago weather temperatures the last few days. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, we've always had these low pressure systems in the middle of winter with the jet stream. You know, jet, the jet stream is like Santa Claus, right? That's what I was taught at a very young age. Santa Claus is stronger in the winter time. The jet stream is lower, closer to the equator, right? And stronger in the winter time. And so with these Arctic blasts of the jet stream and this Arctic cooling, I mean, we saw temperatures drop within minutes in places as far south as florida we're talking 10 to 20 degree spreads just with this arctic yeah. blast um so it was you know quite interesting to experience that um unfortunately if you were stuck in one of these cities and you're out there and like hey it's t-shirt and jeans weather and all of a sudden it's like holy my biscuits are frozen <laughs> so you mean anywhere else but southern california and southern florida uh, in the u.s yeah anywhere yeah. else other than those two locations pretty much pretty much yeah, yeah. so you know, we're going to yeah. talk a little bit about what, what we experienced here in a moment uh, as soon as we start off the show but before we do i just wanted to take this opportunity to say a very special thank you to captain elmore for joining us on flight one two three um, his story uh, has been just an inspiration to us all to hear how he struggled with his cancer diagnosis and his recovery he truly is a fighter and a champion and i just want to say thank you so much captain elmore for having the opportunity to tell your story here on the podcast thank you so much well guys uh, we were talking about it on the opener uh this winter blast this crazy arctic freeze rob let's start with you what has been going on since the last show well let's see i flew a couple trips um but most notably was the uh, recent um, Christmas trip I flew. Um, all in all, it was really uh, uneventful um, for our uh, our operation, which is thankful because, you know, in spite of all the, you know, weather we've had around the country, um, this trip went off without a hitch. So I was thankful for that. It just goes to show you that, you know, we do have a really good operation and um that you know when everything is everybody and everything's clicking all at once things can uh you know just go as planned so thankfully everything worked out good um i did have an overnight in nashville on uh, christmas eve and uh, we got there 
oh, roughly about 6.30 in the evening time. And uh, the airport was a zoo. Now, Nashville is one of Southwest's, I think it's a hub for Southwest, um, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. But, um, man, that hub was a zoo. And while we, when we deplaned our aircraft, me and the uh, uh, captain got off the airplane before the flight attendants were all going to the same hotel um, that evening. So we got off the airplane as we were de- as everybody was deplaning, and uh, we waited for the flight attendants up in the uh, terminal. Uh, a couple of passengers, as they were just walking by, stopped and asked us, "Hey, are you guys pilots?" And we're like, "Yes, ma'am." She's like are you Southwest pilots? And we're all like, no, ma'am, we're not. She's like, oh, because we're they're, they're they're canceling flights left and right, and they're looking for pilots and crews right now. And, you know, so I was like, oh, sorry, ma'am. You know, we work for a different company, and we're, we're actually headed to the hotel right now. So it didn't dawn on me at that point what was actually starting to happen uh, for, uh, for Southwest Airlines, which I think we're going to talk about that later on in the show. But yeah. Um, Anyway, uh, yeah, we went to the hotel, and the next day woke up, um, had the kickoff flight out of Nashville. We were getting ready to fly to Charlotte. Had a little bit of frost on the wings, um, so we had a de-ice, and, uh, uh-huh. which is you know, very straightforward. Um, took off, went to Charlotte, swapped planes in Charlotte, flew to New Orleans, landed in New Orleans at about uh, 1.30 in the afternoon, got on that van, uh drove into town which i don't know if y'all been in that van ride recently but that that van ride is like it's like you're four-wheeling down the highway it's so bumpy oh man i was about to get sick it's just you're in like this ford you know econoline passenger van and the suspension on that thing is like a 18-wheeler truck it's horrible and uh you're going down i-10 and hitting every single pothole and expansion joint and Oh my God. And we're getting tossed around in the back. The heat's on. We're all crunched together. And I swear to God, I was about to blow chunks. Were you in the there, last row? Yes. Okay. Yeah. The worst place yeah. to be. Worst place to I be. I thought that's where all the cool kids sat. No. Not, not apparently not on that bus. But um, anyway, got to uh, New Orleans, had a nice, quiet Christmas dinner downstairs in the bar and um, woke up the next day. Just did Dallas, uh, uh, see New Orleans to Dallas, Dallas, Tucson, Tucson back. And um, actually, before we departed for Tucson, we had a, quite an interesting event taking place here in the DFW airport. Uh, we were getting ready to push back. And um, next thing you know, we hear a ground, uh, an aircraft declare ground emergency as they were taxiing into the gate and they were supposed to park at the gate next to us. Actually, they parked at the gate next to us. And evidently what happened was a cell phone had started the smoke. So they had, you know, uh, they had to put that thing in that little bag. And as you know, what happens, you know, the, the whole fire fire brigade shows up at the gate and they just blocked access to you know, air, all the movement areas around it. And we were kind of, we were in that, uh, in that area of the alpha terminal, mm-hmm. uh, the low alpha gates where there's only, you know, one direction to get out. So we were trapped. Uh, we had to wait for that whole thing to, uh, wind down and, yeah. to, and wait for them to call it all clear before we could even push. So we ended up pushing almost an hour late, which made, you know, 
you know, obviously we got to Tucson an hour late, which made our return flight an hour late. And uh, I feel bad because, you know, it's situations like that where you, you know, trying to get passengers to your connecting flights and there's just nothing you can do. It's totally out of your control. But um, anyway, that was a, uh, that was my recent holiday trip. It's good to be back. And uh, we celebrated uh, Christmas here at our house a day early. So uh, we were able to get all that uh, celebrating and present sharing stuff out of the way. And uh, yeah, here we are. It's good to go. Yeah. So so you were in a little bit of an excitement there. You used the, and I was just actually while you're telling the story, I was looking for what those bags are called. I know that that's something new this last year that all, all the aircraft. Thermal runaway bags, I think. Thermal, yeah. Um, they, uh, uh, bat- I think you battery. Right on that. Well, I think that's probably what we call it, but there's actually an aviation term that we use in-house. It's like a, a battery. Uh, oh, my buddy's in Contain- It's a containment whole. thing, yeah. Um, yeah. I was trying to They're find it in our. bags. Yeah, and the flight attendants, you, as a pilot, you should probably know where they are on your aircraft, yeah. right? Um, they don't really, the flight attendants, we have so many of them, you know, per flight yeah. being in this type of operation that, you know, a lot of that stuff, like, we don't know where it is. I mean, um, but it's right. probably a good idea because I can uh, totally picture an EFB or a, a personal electronic device of a pilot, mm-hmm. you know, having, getting hot. I've had my EFB get pretty hot and shut down before yeah. just you know because it was like trying to process too many things maybe i had too many apps open and i you know just turned off the efb and set it down and you know made sure that it cooled down and put it in front of the air vent um, yeah. but what if it what if it did a thermal runaway on the flight deck right. there are procedures a flight attendant can grab one of these thermal runaway bags basically fireproof bags and they put them in there mm-hmm. and they it's supposed to remove the oxygen you know concentration so that there's right. not a fuel for this heated thing to to kind of catch right. fire suddenly. Yep. And you actually had that experience on a pl- flight next to you that caused this yep. huge delay. And yeah, I mean, I could I could totally picture this yep. situation. But yeah, um, how many times have we seen these videos on YouTube where a power tool of some kind or these uh, the most egregious of the battery operated devices are those electric scooters, those electric scooters and those Segway. Um, yeah scooters and boards and things like that how about how about the the galaxy notebook uh that phone that they had during the pandemic the galaxy 5 or whatever that phone they went they didn't allow on airplanes for a little oh, while yeah. would explode like yeah for reason yeah, yeah. Hey, yeah. can you imagine a battery getting hot and exploding batteries are lead acid or nickel cadmium, which is they'll burn your skin on contact you know so yeah well these are lithium batteries lithium, lithium polymer iron. and all that stuff those, those are the ion, ones yeah. that have the thermal yes i actually have a video which i'll i'll share with you guys mm-hmm. of a backyard experiment i had in my house um <laughs> i definitely should not have been doing this so <laughs> don't try this uh, at home ladies and gentlemen listening, <laughs> do not <laughs> try this at home i am an expert <laughs> at this but as you all know i'm a um uh an rc model enthusiast and um i the we use lithium polymer batteries in our aircraft and these batteries are you know they're very sensitive to uh to uh, charge you know rate of charge and rate of discharge so if you have to you have to charge them and discharge them at the proper rate or else they're they're subject to uh 
uh, thermal runaways and and all that fun fancy stuff. But when a battery starts to go, one of these batteries go dead, um, they 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 don't recover, so they're basically no good. And the particular battery that I have, or the batteries that I use, one particular one is a four cell battery. So there's actually four individual batteries in one. So it's four cells, and three of the cells died because i actually crashed the plane a little too much <laughs> so so anyway We're talking model airplanes ladies and gentlemen model airplanes rc rc radio control not airplane. not yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i got i was trying to do some stunts i was inverted a little low and slow and stalled the airplane out and it augured in and uh that was the end of that so anyway um the, the way to uh, discharge these batteries is, is first they want you to soak the battery in salt water for like 24 hours. And that that just over 24-hour period of time, it just naturally uh, releases the charge that's in the battery. Oh. And then uh, and then you're supposed to check it with a meter. And then at the end of that, you just drive a nail through the middle of the cell. That'll just kill the battery altogether, and then you just throw it away. So. I tend I skipped the uh the 24 hour salt water <laughs> soak. <laughs> so I tested it with my meter and I was like, okay, these things usually hold um let's see, it's uh I think I, I think a thing holds like I can't remember now, it was like 22 volts or 23 volts, and it was down to like three or four. So it was like almost nothing. It was a little more than like you know, two or three AAA batteries, which, yeah. you know, those are actually pretty powerful if you, if you want them to be. Yeah. But anyway, uh, put the thing on a, on a brick and I got my biggest, uh, roofing shingle nail out that I could find and a little hammer, put on some goggles and, you know, I had like a, a full up leather jacket on and, and, um, I didn't have any pants, but I put on like my, you know, my, Wait, what? my worst <laughs> jeans that I could find on. Yep. <laughs> hat <laughs> and i got as far away from it as i can and i had my kids videotaping the thing and i hit it with the hammer and it like it didn't well it exploded it was a small explosion Oof. pop but yeah. then the yeah. chemical reaction the release of the energy which is where which happened right where the nail went mm -hmm. was just it was like a small little firework oh out God. of that little area it was very very exciting for this it was a very short amount of time but you know i was like holy crap thank god that thing only had like three volts in it because if it would have been you know fully charged or anything like that it could have been really bad <laughs> like a big explosion yeah so well, now we got to see the video like this yeah is fair now, I'll, right? I'll have to dig it up and, and send it to you it's it, it probably isn't as exciting as it as it looks on video but when you're there and you hear it and you feel the heat and you you know it's chemicals i mean you're you're basically yeah releasing it's a chemical reaction uh you know you realize how dangerous it was and like i said i should have not been doing this but um the curiosity in me was <laughs> it was a science it was, experiment it was it was a science experiment says it all i took as many precautions as i could to the extent necessary to meet the uh the curiosity of the experiment <laughs> officer <laughs> and i did have a fire extinguisher nearby which i don't think it would have worked because it was a chemical fire but anyway <laughs> well if it was an abc fire extinguisher i think 
yeah, those I guess work it on chemical, right? C for <laughs> chemical. Just yeah. smothered it. Yeah. <laughs> it kept or halon. Forgot about halon. <laughs> but yeah, well, you know, thanks for sharing that with us. Now, we, now I know uh, the next time you say, hey, check this out, I'll be like, uh, no. <laughs> hey, you yeah. want to come watch me? No, no, I'm no, good. no, I'm good. No, well, so yeah. you, so you had some you had some excitement on your holiday flying, Alex. Yeah. You mentioned that you too were in the frozen tundra scenarios. Uh, how did your trip implode? So we started our sequence. Uh, the original sequence was supposed to go from um, Little Rock uh, on day one overnight, or into Little Rock day one overnight. Uh, and then the next day we were going to go to Chicago and then Cincinnati overnight and be in Cincinnati by like 1230 Eastern time. And then wake up early the next morning, fly from Cincinnati to Miami and then Miami have a three hour sit and then go to Monterey, Mexico and spend Christmas in Monterey, Mexico. And then a one leg back to, to Dallas to end it. Right. That's what we were supposed to do. And um, we get to Little Rock day one. And everyone's checking their phones and just checking stuff and, you know, kind of the same stuff that you do overnight. And everyone's like, oh, crap. Everybody see that the Cincinnati flight got canceled? Mm. This was the day prior. And we're like, oh, no. So everyone's like now frantically going, oh, shit, what do we do? And we're checking between the time that we get to, you know, the from the hotel to the uh, or to the van, get to the hotel. Everybody's still trying to check, see if anything's updated or anything like that, right? Nothing nothing happened off of that, right? So the next morning we all wake up and I check my schedule. I'm like, oh, I'm doing a Lexington turn. Uh, and then deadhead back to, to Dallas after that Lexington turn out of Chicago. And that didn't happen. Or uh, the number one and the, the captain were supposed to go to Albany at like one o'clock in the afternoon. The number two was supposed to go out to somewhere in Iowa and then come back and deadhead back to, to Dallas the next day. And basically nobody was with the same crew or sequence anymore. Um, so we're getting there and the captain gets an ACARS message, pops up and says, oh, hey, by the way, you're tacked on to a Pittsburgh turn before your Albany uh, overnight. and. Uh, He's like, well, shit, that flight's in uh, like 20 minutes and we're still like 10 minutes out from Chicago. Don't know how that's going to work, but hey, I'm on this Pittsburgh turn. Um, and so and then we land in Chicago and then we have to hold because our gate's not open. And, you know, the 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 flight that I'm supposed to take, I see them, the plane pull up into the holding pad as well um, and their gate opens. And I'm like, well, they can't go anywhere without me. So we're going to wait on that. And the the gate that we were supposed to go into was supposed to be where the Pittsburgh flight was going out of for this captain. But they weren't pushing because they basically they were trying to move gates around and all this stuff. And finally, we pulled into the, the top Lima Stinger gates in Chicago. Okay. And... The captain's flight was right next door. They held that Pittsburgh flight for him for like 45 hour later than what it was supposed to. And they did that. I was like, well, I haven't eaten, so I'm going to take my time going over because I had to go from the Stinger gates to the actual Lima gates. And that's like a solid 10 minute walk. So yeah. I get over there. I get some McDonald's. I get to the airplane. I get to the gate. What was supposed to be my gate. And I was like, oh, that says Austin. 
okay, maybe they moved it from the time I got off the plane to where I was there. So then I move over to the to where the gate is. I get there and I'm scanning. I'm like, oh, am I the last one? The gate agent's like, oh, no, no, no. Your number two is not even here yet. She's coming in from the G gates and she just landed. So she's going to be a minute. I'm like, okay. So we're our flight was supposed to leave at 930. By the time I got to my gate, it was like 940. So we're already late. We're waiting hmm. on the number two. She's late. So we get there and we're waiting and both of our labs were broken. Wait, both labs. You only have two labs. Yeah. Can they dispatch with zero labs? Well, when you're going to Lexington, which is only a 45 minute flight. Uh, yeah. With concurrence, uh, I believe the language is a captain and with concurrence with SOC. Yeah, and that and yeah. that's uh, that's kind of what we boiled it down to. But the uh, that plane was supposed to go to Austin, and that's why when I got to the gate that I was supposed to be at, that was the Austin flight. Ah, so yeah, they hadn't changed the the reader yet. Yeah, so the what what had happened was the Austin flight was supposed to take the plane with two labs broken to Austin. Yeah, on a two and a half hour, three hour flight from Chicago. Nope. And the captain's like, no, yeah, no, 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 can't. no, can't do that. Yeah, like, you can't do that to people. So. And the only reason why the labs were broken is because they were so f- like not full, but they were with toilet paper. And because there's no potable water in Chicago, they can't get the, the suction to suck it through. And they mm. froze uh. solid like the, 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 the excrement, both number one and number two had frozen solid. Ouch. And the maintenance manager, the guy who's on the radio, who you talk to in Chicago, was so backed up with all this. He came out to the airplane and was like, oh, I'll just pour some hot water on it. It'll melt it. And then your labs will be good. And we can actually clear this MEL. And uh, we have no potable water because Chicago has no potable water below na- or below 10 degrees. So we're unable to clear that. And uh, so now we're like, okay, well, we've got two broken labs. We're going to Lexington. All right, fine. And then the captain realizes, oh, crap. We're overweight on fuel. We have the Austin fuel weight on board, not the Lexington fuel weight. Ah. So he's working with dispatchers to try to figure all that out. And uh, uh, meanwhile, I'm just at this point, like I'm sitting with the flight attendants in first class because like there's nothing else to be doing at this point. We've already got all of our flight plan. Everything's loaded. Like we're all ready to go up front. We're just missing passengers and trying to figure out this weight ordeal. And uh, so captain's off doing whatever on the phones, walking up and down, talking to the gauge agents, all that stuff. And in the process, I see a fueler come to defuel us because that's what he's, he had asked for. Hey, come defuel us. And uh, we were at like 13,000 pounds. I know that's not a lot for you guys, but hey, that's a lot for us. Yeah, that's, <laughs> a, that's a good. We land with that. That's a good amount. <laughs> yeah. So we were at like 13-ish, 13-1. And I see the, the the fueler guy come and hook up the hose to the underwing, all that stuff. And uh uh, I'm like, cool, he's going to defuel us. And the captain comes back in and he goes, shit. He just loaded us back up to the fuel weight that they were going to go to Austin. Oh, my God. Yeah. Hmm. So they now the captain's like really kind of paranoid and freaking out because now it's like, okay, instead of actually taking weight off, you gave us more weight. And so the dispatcher's like, All right, well, I, the only thing we can do at this point is kick off passengers. And I'm like, I'm not comfortable with that. It's Christmas Eve. Like, you can't kick yeah. off passengers Christmas Eve just because we're overweight. Like, we could figure out a way to get this down and make this work or whatever. Yeah. No, they ended up, we had a limitation of like 50 people on board and it like yeah. wasn't great. 
And then the link that I threw in our, our little show notes here, we had to fly mm-hmm. the whole, not get any vectors off, like not go direct destination, not take any shortcuts. We had to fly yeah, the to exact route. route. And then fly the exact ILS with the procedure turn. So if you look at that, yeah, that, saw that. link that I show you, yeah. you could see the procedure turn in there. The controller was so confused of sitting there. He's like, wait, wait, you guys actually want the procedure turn? We're like, yeah. Like if we fly the approach as published, we'll land 300 pounds underweight. Mm-hmm. We can't take yeah. a shortcut. You can't vector us. We need to fly this. So we landed in Lexington. Um, we took off like three hours late out of Chicago. We landed in Lexington about the time we were supposed to land in Chicago coming back from Lexington, which caused me to miss my deadhead flight to, to Dallas, which that's fine. I got on the phone with crew scheduling. I was like, Hey, this is what's going on. And they're like, okay. And I could hear the keyboard clicking away. And she's like, well, here's the deal. There's one more flight that can deadhead you back to Dallas tonight, but we can't legally put you on there. That puts you over 14 hours of duty. You can't do it. Like, we, you know, we're going to have to junior man you into the next day. Okay. So I had a deadhead flight Christmas morning, which is fine. A deadheaded, uh, deadheaded back to Dallas and then uh, got my uh, jump seat pass because all the flights were, you know, negative two, negative three, negative right. six seats on going home on Christmas. So I jump seated home and I got home Christmas day, like mid afternoon. Now, you know, uh, what, off of a four day that I was supposed to be home yesterday. Yeah. So your your crew scheduler was trying to tell you, hey, there's a flight, but I can't legally put you on there. Now, if you were desperate to get home and there was no one in the jump seat, you could have D2'd or 1W or whatever they call the jump seat pass yourself home. And you just tell them, okay, just show me as a no-show on the deadhead. You'll still get paid for your per diem and the deadhead most of the time for the no-show. Um, sometimes they go, well, no, you no show. So as of this phone call, your everything stops it, but legally they have to show continuity in your schedule and get you home somehow. So it just depends. Um, but you, you elected, you, you did what I usually do is I just elect to go with the scheduled that way. I'm not bumping anybody off a jump seat or I'm not bumping anybody off a flight. You gave me a ticket. That's my ticket. It's contractual and I'm not. You know, so I don't get home a little earlier. It's kind of what we signed up to when we became airline pilots, right? Um, the the overweight exactly, thing. Like I was already <laughs> planning on being home on the 26th. So for me to be home earlier was just a plus. Right. Yeah. So, you know, any time, any any minute that I was home earlier than when I was supposed to be home early on that 26th, then I'm fine with it. So, yeah. you know, I got, a, I got a room. They put me up because I got a misconnect in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I... I got my deadhead flight back the next day. Um, I obviously am pay protected on the trip imploding itself. And, you know, it depends on how they want to do for the pay on the other side of it with everything. So I'm, you know, it, it ended up working out. I'm home. I was home earlier. Um, now, could they have used you? We did Christmas before I left. So since you, since you got home a day and a half really early, could they have said, well, okay. Um, I don't have anything for you, but maybe tomorrow I might have something for you within their footprint. Could they have done that? So they could have, right? You're you're absolutely right. They could have done that. But they, um, the, the reason why they don't is because they have to put it within my footprint. And like, I would, I would have come on the 25th. Right. Mm -hmm. And, or I would have come in back into base on the 25th. They could have used me on the 25th and into the 26th. Right. Cause that's my original footprint. But 
they there there was no like open time for like a, a overnight or a, a, a turn flight nothing on that fit day. your footprint right yeah nothing fit my footprint so right. i did legally what i was supposed to do and check my schedule the they can post it up to the what 12 o'clock central time the, the day, day before prior. yeah yeah so that was about the time that i was leaving from dallas yeah. and so i checked it and i was good so you got lucky yeah. Uh, but what I did want to point out to some of those listeners out there that might not realize, you know, you hear that and you go, well, why didn't you just take the fuel off the airplane? Well, putting the fuel on the airplane uh, using a single port refueling system is a very, very fast. That's why uh, when the single port refueling system or nozzle is inoperative or MEL'd, they have to do the overwing fueling. Like you're, you know, you get a truck on both wings, preferably, and they fuel with the nozzle, and it takes a long time because the nozzle is, you know, got a diameter of what, about two, one and a half, two inches. So it c comes in at a certain, but the single port refueling system is more like a five inch or six inch hose that's pumped in at much higher pressure, much higher volume. So it's relatively quick. But when you defuel an aircraft, then that fuel, has to go if it's all within a contractual fueling contract it can go back into the truck but it's a much lower psi because now you have to suck the fuel out and that takes four to five times longer so to, yeah. to d i think a lot of aircraft they also use the aircraft fuel pumps fuel pumps right the, the truck itself the can't suck right. right so now you're using the aircraft's fuel pumps to push the fuel back through the single port refueling system, those fuel pumps are much lower volume uh, yep. because they're not designed for that. So you could sit there for a good hour to defuel your aircraft when it gets overfueled by even just a few thousand pounds. It could take a very long time. That's why when the fueler came and inadvertently, probably because of miscommunication or, or outdated paperwork, brought yeah. the fuel back up instead of taking it down, now you're just adding more and more time to what might have delayed the flight two, three, four hours. They need those gates. They need to get that flight out. They need, because it's a domino effect. That airplane's doing, you know, maybe six, seven, eight flights in a day, maybe more. So in order to, you got to cut your losses. And unfortunately, some passengers got bumped off on a holiday, which. That's horrible. You know, terrible, uh, very bad. Shame on you, Sandpiper. But hey, we've all been there. <laughs> yeah. I don't think they were the only ones. That That's. I hate the, we, we actually left non-revs behind in Tucson uh, yeah. yesterday, which was yeah. heart-wrenching because we didn't know about it until we actually pushed away from the gate and the flight attendant said, she's like, I just realized we have a flight attendant jump seating in our airplane and there's six open seats. And I know there was like 12 non-revs oh. on the list. That was going to be and my question. Did you guys so have the, the captain space? was like. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, because you know how it is in our, when we're getting ready to close the door, the agent just comes down and says, all right, 161. You, you know, go now. You go you now. All your paperwork. We're Get like, down yep. the hill. We're like, all right, see ya. On time, on time. And <laughs> we had a, we had a other, other airline guy in our jump seat. We had, and then, yeah, you know, so when the agent, when the agent, you know, said, all right, you good. We're good. Yeah. See you later. Right. Um, You know, we knew there were non-revs, but just automatically thought, all right, we're full. We got a jump seater here. We know we got a, you know, one in the back. Right. And then when the, uh, when the flight attendant, you know, she's like, oh, 
good to close, yep, good to close, close the door. And then just after we pushed back, right before she was about to make her announcement, um, you know, safety pre-flight thing, um, she's like, she calls the flight deck and she's like, man, I we've got like six open seats and I don't, this flight should have been full. So we're like, what the hell? Oh, how many passengers? You know, then they were like, right. oh, okay, how many did we really have? Yeah. And then I got the close out and sure enough. Yeah. Six open seats. Yeah. I was like, well, damn, but that was the one I was telling you we were an hour late. Yeah. Well, no, what happens is if you're late by on our go home, if you're late by a minute or you're late by an hour, late is late. And I know the company and I don't yeah. blame the gate agents. I never, I never get upset with the gate agents. I try not, I try to convey yeah. this scenario to my, whoever captain that I'm flying yeah. with to try not to get upset with the gate agents because it all trickles downhill and yeah. the company is so obsessed with getting their d minus or d plus yeah. zero right so there's departure time plus zero because what happens if they get even one minute late on the departure it comes out as late whether it's a minute yeah. or an hour it's late as late and the dot will find the company if they have too many yeah. lates because then they need to change their slot time for that flight they they reserve these slot times months in advance and because yeah. that then puts a strain on the air traffic control system. So in an effort to have everyone operating smoothly, the D plus zero is a crucial thing. And the gate agents are told, at least I know that for at least three or four airlines out there today, that if you're yeah. even one minute late, you're late. So yeah. every airline has a policy. I think uh, our international is 30 minutes and our domestic's 15. So that means if yeah. you show up to the gate, you know, 15 minutes prior, if you're 14 minutes prior, guess what? They just shut the door on you and that airplane's going to sit there for yeah. another 14 minutes. They could have gotten you on. Yeah. Sometimes there are knockout drag outs. a lot of that too. But in the only saving grace, the only thing I can think of is that we were an hour late and there was another flight that landed right behind us. Ah, so there was an From Dallas. Opportunity, so I think yeah. what their mindset was that we're just going to put them on that flight anyway. Right. Uh, but yeah, you're right. It's the uh, 14 A plus 14 right Isn't arrival plus it? 14 is on time anything 14. after 14 and the minutes they want to close the door um 14 to 15 minutes early is because they have to allow time for the rampers to get those last minute check bags mm -hmm. onto the airplane to be able to push back at our scheduled departure time right because our passengers our, don't think about that. Yeah, our clock they doesn't start up. until the cargo doors are closed and the parking brake's right. been released. And we're not allowed to release the parking brake. They just sent out another memo saying, until you have positive contact exactly. with ramp personnel, yeah. that it is it's all secure below, don't release the yeah. brake. Yeah, because that's the time starter. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, yep. yeah. Yeah, good good stuff. Um, I Good stuff. I've been kind of busy, too, uh, throughout this last episode. That's been, what, 20, 21 days ago? Um, I've been doing quite a bit of flying. I've been doing quite a bit of work at home. I did have some days off. Uh, I was very, very honored to be, uh, asked to be on another podcast. I was on the yeah. airline pilot guy podcast as a special guest. And I know how rare that is. They that is don't, super rare. they don't do that. They don't have no, they guests don't. on their show. Um, and in their, I think 13 years that they've been on air, um, it, it was just an honor it's kind of like meeting your heroes, you know, your, your, yeah. your mentors. Um, and captain Jeff and I have been communicating back and forth for years. Uh, I've been, I'm a big fan of their 
podcast and their aviation community. Yes, I have the APG syndrome, as I know Alex and and Rob do too. Yeah, um, so uh, it yeah. was hardcore. It was very cool. I I kind of wish uh, I had Rob in my ear because we did talk about a story <laughs> in, in re- involving an Embraer 175 pitch trim that was put in backwards, and and afterwards, you know, I here I am. I'm producing my own podcast now, close to five years, and. I was still nervous, you know, and here I am listening to it afterwards <laughs> when it was published. And I went, oh, I should have mentioned this. And, oh, I should have mentioned that. And here's a procedure <laughs> I could have given a little bit of insight on. Um, so, you know, hey, but <laughs> thanks again to the to the staff over in the crew over at uh, APG. Thank you, Captain Jeff, for having me. It was a real honor. Um, I did do quite a bit of flying. I'm actually, today's not even a day off. I fly tonight. Um I did have one day off, which was Christmas Eve. Originally, I had Christmas Day and Chris, the 26th off as well, but the companies had a lot of open trips and they're offering some premium pay. And I thought, well, let's see what you know I can pick up. So I picked up a Kona out and back. So Christmas Day, I landed in Kona, hung out on the beach a little bit, you know, kind of reading all these uh posts about this frozen tundra that everyone keeps talking about must be nice i had a you know i had an adult beverage i had a nice uh christmas dinner mm-hmm. you know it was my birthday, birthday too. dinner birthday dinner yeah, yeah. <laughs> everybody has to wish tony a happy birthday and a yes. merry christmas uh, thank you time. thank you yeah um yep. so <laughs> it was it was cool i mean how I, old are you again 28 uh the 20th time 28 29. the 20th time i've turned 28 yes awesome 20th Good time yes <laughs> uh went for my first run as a 48 year old out on the uh, old kona airport did a couple miles nice. something i haven't done in a long time um but that trip was great but the trip i had before that i was right there with you guys uh, i did an austin santa barbara and denver trip when we landed in denver late mind you because of an issue that we're just going to briefly talk about here um uh, we're Santa Barbara airport I used to go into for Sandpiper all the time, the LA Santa Barbara shuttle. I loved Santa Barbara uh, layover. I mean, it's just so beautiful year round. And here we are doing it again on the Airbus 319. Um, still a short runway, still intimidating. Uh, but I've been flying in and out of there quite a bit past year as they've brought it back to the Airbus and uh, got to the airplane, a beautiful morning, do the walk around, and there's a puddle of fuel under the left engine about the size of a golf cart and it's dripping from the drain mast that is in the six o'clock position of the engine cowling so i took a quick video a couple seconds so i could show the captain that's in the flight deck prepping all the paperwork for the flight plan and i'm like captain you might want to hold off boarding take a look at this and he's like oh crap that's that's pretty good so he's like why don't you i'll call moc why don't you uh, tell the gate agent and and the rampers out there what the deal is. So I did. Uh, the station manager came over, threw some kitty litter down, put a little bucket underneath there to to collect any fuel that was coming out. We thought for sure this was we were done, you know. And uh, the contract maintenance came out and said, "Okay, the procedure is we're going to run the engine for five minutes and we're going to count the drips coming from the drain mast. If the drips are less than, I think it was, and don't quote me on this, but seven drips per minute, then it's within limits. I was like, uh, okay, this is an Airbus thing. Okay, fine. So they, we ran the engines and sure enough, they came back, took the AML book, the aircraft maintenance log book and said, yeah, you're within limits. So you're going to be good to go and just do some paperwork. Go ahead and start boarding. 
Captain looks at me and goes, really? I guess, okay, well, they say what's in, are you okay with that? I said, well, hey, if it's within limits, it's legal. And if we refuse the airplane, it's going to be on us because Airbus says it's acceptable. I said, but I tell you what, significant maintenance was done on this aircraft. I'm going to go do another walk around. So I go do another walk around and sure enough, drip, drip, drip. I thought, okay, well, I guess when the engine's running, it's fine. So we followed the procedures. We verified the everything. No MEL needed to be issued in relation to this. And we took off. And yes, we did use uh, some monitoring techniques to make sure that both engines were consuming the equal amounts of fuel because there is a non-ECAM procedure in the if there's evidence that you lose more than 650 pounds in less than 30 minutes per side difference from the other side then you would have a non-normal procedure to follow and but everything seemed pretty good uh got to phoenix and we were keeping the airplane did a walk around and guess what drip 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 so I told the captain, I'm like, how do we know it didn't get worse? He goes, you're right. Let's write it up. So they wrote it up and maintenance came out, did an engine run for five minutes, said, no, you're within legal limits. Everything's fine. Come to find out that that aircraft had been written up for a very similar situation. They've already changed a few parts out and it's still doing this. And uh, But the procedure was totally legal that you could leak fuel while the engine was not running at the gate and it's fine. So we continued on. Well, by the time we swapped airplane, airplane aircraft, finally on the last lake, we had a four leg day, went into Santa Ana, came out of Santa Ana. My first time there was, it was a lot of fun. Captain goes, well, it's your first time. Why don't you fly in and out of Santa Ana? I was like, okay. Oh, good God. So I did. And you know what? It's not much different than Santa Barbara. Yeah. The runway length is pretty equal. And he's like, don't slam on the brakes. It's not a big deal. You do, th you do a, uh, a maximum effort takeoff all the time. And I guarantee you, it's not even going to be a flaps three APU on takeoff. It'll just be like flaps two and flex. And it ended up being toga because we were full, but um, still flaps two toga takeoff. It was not a big deal, um, but it was fun. Were you in a, you in a 319 or a, yeah. a 321? Yeah, 319. Okay. Yeah, but he said, you can do it with the 321 fully loaded as well. The numbers support it. He said, it's not a big deal. Just everybody kind of freaks out because when it was on the 737, they had a very specific thrust bump rating just for that airport. And I think Burbank's 27K the same thing. 27K bump. 27K bump. doing that. Yep. Yep. So, uh, yeah. Uh, continued on back to Phoenix. Swapped Channel aircraft. Flaps 25 takeoff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and we went to Denver. Landed at Denver. It was minus 12 degrees Fahrenheit. It was around 1130 at night. The ramp was covered in snow. It was not snowing, but there was plenty of snow on the ground. So contaminated taxiway and rampways. We had to use engine anti-ice on during taxi, but not during flight or landing. Um, get there and they're like, yeah, just park a beam this gate because all the gates are occupied. Well, what's going on? How long? They're like, well, as soon as they can find a fuel truck that's not frozen, they'll fuel the yeah. aircraft that's at the gate and they'll push them back and you'll be on your way. And I thought, oh boy. And it was already a long day. It was a four-leg day for us. We were reaching our duty limit. And the captain goes, watch us <laughs> go illegal while we're still on the airplane. <laughs> well, our, our short layover in Denver became an illegal layover. When we finally got to the gate, uh, we had min rest. They had to modify our departure time the next day. But the, the last day of the trip really went off without a hitch. 
landed back in Ontario on time and it was not a big deal. I got to spend the 24th at home, celebrated with the family. It was, it was fine. Um, so, you know, I, like you did experience a little bit of frozen tundra and, uh, I didn't see any major delays that day. I know we're going to talk about that a little bit later with the ramp agents that, uh, didn't like working in minus 14 degrees Fahrenheit weather, I guess, or at some of these airlines, mm, but that's cold. Um, yeah, cold, cold. I mean, your, your Freezing. exposed skin is going to start hurting <laughs> pretty quick. Yeah. Uh, I did it get did. very much chapped and my lips were fried <laughs> by the time we left Denver. I was like, man, I really don't like this. Um, you know, the static electricity, uh, you're crawling, oh, yeah. in, crawling into bed in the, in the hotel and it, your room <laughs> lights up like a disco and it's just static electricity. Yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah. You're you're afraid to touch every elevator button. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 It's like that family guy episode where it's it's a static man. It's It's not the same, but it's, uh, it's still the kind of the same theory though. You know, in the elf movie where he's doing the toy. And he's like, ah, pop. This is not the job for me. You know, and speaking of static, one of my favorite episodes out there, just, you know, I know we're all kind of just, mature pilots right family guy episode where where um peter griffin gets a job in the white house and his job is to remove the static in every single room prior than president trump walking into the room this episode is the probably the funniest episode that seth MacFarlane has ever created produced directed and did the voiceover for and you i'm sure you can find it out there and so what ends up happening is peter's family moves into the white house because he needs to be available at all times well the president ends up in a room with meg his daughter peter's daughter and he starts to come on to her which is highly inappropriate because she's a teenager right um and by the way mila kunis does makes voiceover which mm-hmm. yeah so uh so peter finds out and he confronts president trump uh, on this and they get in a knockout drag out fight one of the chicken fights that they often have on the show but it's between him and the president and let me tell you that's the most entertaining 13 minutes of fight sequence i have ever seen in my life that's awesome. oh man wow Kill him in front of me and I sex you. Oh, just I'll just leave it at that. You know, Google yeah. it or research it. And uh, if you haven't seen it, there's even aviation in there because they end up fighting through the uh, aviation museum and they end up stealing <laughs> or commandeering uh, two very uh, vintage aircraft and f- having like a dogfight. It's fantastic. <laughs> you know, fantastic. Um, That's awesome. But we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about uh, turbulence, actually, uh, coming back from. Kona, going to Kona this week, you know, we were very much talking about turbulence. Uh, we did have to change altitudes quite a bit to find smooth air, both going and coming. Um, and we're going to talk about all of those 
recent articles you've been seeing on the news and on the in the newspapers about aircraft encountering severe turbulence severe and we're going to talk about that and more right after the break And ladies and gentlemen, welcome back from the break. Well, we've been talking about the polar vortex that we've all experienced this year. This holiday travel season has been busier than ever. We've been reading these articles and seeing these stories out on social media about multiple flights just getting rocked by severe turbulence. And we're going to talk about the different classifications of turbulence here coming up. Uh, I did find a relatively good video that was published from Fox Weather. Um, Here's what causes turbulence and why you shouldn't be afraid of it. I'm going to play the video and we'll talk a little bit about it here. Rob Biddle has been a United Airlines pilot for nearly three decades. He's seen a lot of turbulence in his career. We're not scared at all. This part of aviation, it's actually a national occurrence. While Biddle does his safety checks in order to ensure his next flight is smooth, Biddle wants you to know... Every nine months we go for recurrent training and check rides. Throughout those training check rides, we always get uh, opportunities to practice. Pilots are well aware of how uncomfortable turbulence can make us feel. I think it's the uncertainty. I think it's being in the back of an airplane where you can't really see what's ahead of you. We went to the United Flight Training Center in Denver to see how pilots train for turbulence. Our first question, what is turbulence? It is just changes in direction of the air and in the speed of the air moving over the surface of the earth. And the combination of those two things is what causes bumpy air or turbulence. Even though it may be scary, I learned that turbulence is actually a good thing. It's the plane's way of trying to find a balance between its path and the weather outside of the plane. There's four main types of turbulence. There's thermal, there's mechanical, there's mountain wave, and there's clear air turbulence. Pilots rank the type of turbulence based on its intensity. Light turbulence barely causes a disturbance like you walking over a pothole. But severe or heavy turbulence can cause the plane to shake violently and may result in injuries. So what kind of turbulence is this? This is light turbulence. Inside one of United's flight simulators, we fly close to a thunderstorm of what many pilots refer to as thermal or convective turbulence. Convective turbulence is where you have uneven heating of the surfaces of the Earth. And as those surfaces heat unevenly, they cause uh, things like thunderstorms as they interact with the moisture. First thing we do is turn on the seatbelt sign. And if it gets too bumpy, please take your jump seat. United's policy is to avoid flying through any storms unless it's necessary. Thankfully, as we navigate away from the thunderstorm, the turbulence subsides in our simulation. There's another type of turbulence pilots can't always see called clear air turbulence. That sometimes happens just because you have wind currents uh, that are in the air, jet streams that change directions unexpectedly. Clear air turbulence has always been a problem. Uh, obviously thunderstorms, we can see it, we know it's gonna be turbulent, we avoid it, we can see it on our radar. It's the reason why pilots say you should always have your seatbelt on even if the flight is smooth. There's also another type of turbulence that tends to happen near mountains. 
you find that your airspeed changes, your altitude changes unexpectedly. Mechanical turbulence can occur if planes are too close to one another. They leave a wake behind them, and if you happen to fly through that wake, that'll give you a little bit of a jolt. 100 knots, V1, rotate. As planes move through the air, they can create small vortices that aren't always possible to see with the eye. It's why the FAA mandates how closely planes can take off and land. And while turbulence can be scary, Max power ahead. Ahead. there's a lot of technology that United Airlines has invested in to ensure your next flight is smooth. Using Doppler radar technology can find out if there is wind shear, if there's a storm cell that's severe, maybe hiding out. All of United's pilots have an iPad that can often see where the turbulence is before the plane encounters it. We can find out that the rides are better lower or maybe higher. We do have our own meteorology team that's constantly monitoring for changes in the weather patterns out there. If you're sitting in the back of the plane, you'll feel more bumps. Pilots also recommend taking an early morning flight for the smoothest ride. Has turbulence ever caused a plane to crash? Turbulence has not caused an airplane to crash. So rest assured the next time you hear the words, Flight tents, take your jump seats. You're in good hands, even if the friendly skies aren't being so friendly. It's all about communication. We want to make sure that our flight attendants and our passengers are safe. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride. All right. <laughs> well, and I don't know how much of that I'll actually use, but um, so that's a great uh, little news article that they put together. Um, yeah, you know, and I'll put good. a link in the show yeah. notes so that if you want to see the entire article, um, we can definitely you can do a little bit more research on it yourself but yeah wind shear clear air turbulence frontal turbulence and thermal convective turbulence mechanical turbulence those are the five types of turbulence that one can expect and there's different classifications right there's light moderate and severe now we know as pilots and aviators what the aim definitions the aeronautical information manual definitions of these different classifications are but for passengers what can they, you know, how do they know if they're in the back, how do they know if it's light or moderate or severe, right? So in the article, they go on to say, well, light, the passengers may feel a, a, a very slight strain against their seatbelt, right? If it's moderate turbulence, then passengers will feel a definite strain against their seatbelts, right? Uh, unsecured objects are usually dislodged. Any food service and walking is difficult. They usually suspend all service and lock and secure all of the carts during this time. And the flight attendants are usually commanded to take their jump seat and fasten their uh, four or five point harness, whatever it is. Uh, severe turbulence. This is when passengers are forced violently against their seatbelt and unsecured objects are going to be tossed around. Food service and walking is pretty much impossible. So when the captain turns on the seatbelt sign and says, ladies and gentlemen, we've got some reports of some moderate bumps ahead. I, I always like using the word bumps when I make my PAs. I don't like saying turbulence because that usually scares the passengers. And, you know, the flight attendants all use, you know, moderate turbulence procedures and whatnot. But with, with passengers, they'll say, oh, we've got some moderate bumps ahead. We're going to do our best to avoid it. We're going to change some altitudes. But for now, you know, stay in your seats with your seatbelt securely fastened about you as we do up here on the flight deck. And that usually goes, oh, better put on my seatbelt, right? Or I better tighten it, right? Because a lot of people, they have it on, but it's so loose that what's it doing, right? So 
and the article goes on, just like the video, you know, should you be afraid of turbulence? And they're saying, no, not at all. It's totally normal. Um, does turbulence ever scare you as a pilot? Have you ever been in a situation, any of you gentlemen, that you've been in such severe turbulence that you were like, holy crap. So yes, twice. I've had uh, two encounters. Uh, once when I was at Sandpiper and the most recent one was here at Legacy. Um, the Sandpiper one, I was a uh, captain at the time working the flight from DFW to Abilene. And we were cruising westbound at 22,000 feet, just about at the midway point. So basically we just leveled off because it's a quick flight. <laughs> and uh, it was just a perfect day to fly. Not a cloud in the sky. It was, we were, it was probably, uh, this was, I'm trying to remember, it was summertime. Uh, it was about 8.30 at night. So in the desert, you know, in the, you know, the desert of Texas, you know, the, the, the sky turns orange and, you know, the sunsets are spectacular. So I'm just trying to set the scene. It was a perfectly smooth flight right up to that moment. We were 20,000 feet. We were probably doing 0.7273 Mach. Um, I don't know how many miles an hour that was. It's probably 300, 310 or whatever. And um, perfectly smooth. Flight attendant finished their quick drink service in the back. They called up. They said, you guys need anything? We're like, nope, we're good. And, you know, we're actually in range 20 minutes. We'll see you on the ground. She's like, all right, sounds good. I, I heard her, you know, you can hear them put their you know, uh, flight attendant jump seat. You can hear the, the seat come down. Sometimes you can hear them get in their seats. And, uh, next thing you know, our airplane just went, I mean, you, I know you can't see it in the audio, but when I tell you it just shook, like we were in a, a mixer, it was bad. I mean, and it, and it, it felt like 10 or 15 seconds of shaking, but in reality, it was probably only one or two seconds, but my kit bag at the time we had a uh, paper charts. Mm -hmm. <laughs> remember all that? I remember that. My kit bag went from the where the 145, you know, holding box was. Yeah. It ended up on the pedestal. <gasps> wow. And wow. anything that wow. was loose in the cockpit. I mean, remember we had those also. Uh, we bought those little um, uh, steel chart holders that you uh -huh. put your charts on and everything. Yeah. That thing was just gone. Um, you know, the drinks that were in the cockpit were just all over the place. I mean, it was bad. So immediately, my first concern was, how is the flight attendant and how are our passengers? Called called her up. I'm like, oh, my God, are you okay? Yeah. She was like, yeah, I was in my jump seat and everybody's okay back here. What happened? And I'm like, I think we just flew through clear air turbulence because, it, as you know, it was perfectly smooth. Yeah. So... She's like, yeah, I'm going to go check on your passengers. I was like, well, give me, give me about two to three seconds, you know, to evaluate the situation, the status of the aircraft. Yeah. And then, and then I'll call you back and let me know, you know, what, what you think. So, yeah. you know, so yeah, so that was crazy. So nobody got hurt. Of course, there was a lot of people, you know, pretty rattled nerve cages there. And, you know, I was I was rattled pretty good because that came out of nowhere. You spilled my jacket, didn't and coke, expect man. It. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was crazy because now I had to figure out where all the charts were <laughs> for yeah. rattling, even though we've been there about a bazillion <laughs> times, you know. So, um, 
yeah so you know i i made an urgent pie rep to the uh to the controller and told them hey you know a uua nice yeah uaa yeah uua or uaa uua UUA. UUA. yep yep urgent pie rep Mm -hmm. so uh that was that event and then another one was the um the flight into uh fort walton beach this past summer dodging dodging thunderstorms and uh we were, uh, I think I explained this in an earlier podcast, but basically we were blocked off from Fort Walton Beach from Dallas with thunderstorms. I mean, the, it was just wall-to-wall thunderstorms all on the south side of our airplane yeah. as we headed eastbound. And uh, the safest course of action was to go around the thunderstorm, but would have amounted to going all the way east to almost like Atlanta and Macon, Georgia. And then turning around and coming south and southwest back to uh, uh, Fort Walton Beach. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that would have taken us 30, 35 minutes extra, which we had the gas to do it. And I I wanted to do that, but like like it always happens, right? You're looking at this old weather radar on our old screens, on the old CRTs, which thankfully Mm -hmm. I heard we're getting all those things replaced over the next 100 years or something like that. But anyway... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um <laughs> we're supposed to get the new screens but anyway we're flying along and we see the sucker hole right between the thunderstorms oh, and i'm boy. like uh, thread the needle baby yeah i mean i can <laughs> see daylight through it no. but you're not getting the required 20 miles lateral distance from the thunderstorm from the convective stuff but, you know, how many times have you, like, said, ah, you know, we can probably just cut the edge of this one off a little bit and you'd be just fine? Nope. No. Nope. So the captain's like, well, I'm going to go for it. I'm like, ah, all right. Uh, all right, let's just do it. So we start heading for that that hole, and it stayed open. I mean, it stayed daylight through it. You still had an overhang over it. You had solid convective activity on the right, solid convective activity on the left. We wanted to descend a little bit so we can get down to kind of like the sweet spot of the hole. So we're in the middle. So we have, you know, uh, you know, clear, clear above us, clear below us. Right. So we got a little bit of a descent. We sent it about three or 4,000 feet to do that. And just as we flew in the middle of it, the plane just dropped out of the sky. No, it didn't even <laughs> shake. No, it just fell. I mean, oh. literally just free fall. Like everything again that was loose in the cockpit uh, was floating in the air like this. Oh, and, and the captain on the headphone was going, and I kind of, I didn't let out a sign, but I was just like, I was, I was looking at him. I was like, let's just, I was thinking, let's just nose it down. Cause it's, you know, I'd rather have like a, you know, a, 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 a smooth um, transition, a yeah. low attitude when yeah. we hit the solid air mass coming up. <laughs> yeah. Then, uh, you know, just pancake falling at right. in it. And um, the plane just kind of mushed to the next altitude. Ugh. And we looked and we lost about five, 600 feet Jeez. in like yeah. that. I mean, it was gone. Jeez. So we were like, holy moly. So just like I did on the other flight, the captain boom, reaches up. Hey, you guys okay? She's like, yeah, everybody's in their seats. And, no, you know, nothing happened. I mean, a, a bunch of cell phones went in the air. And stuff like that, but I was about yeah. It. 
And we're and we're going to talk about that here because we have that Hawaiian <laughs> Airlines yeah. incident that uh, you know we're not going to dive too far into it, but you know a lot of the damage yeah. was caused by uh, those metal you know weapon yeah. water bottles. I call them you know yeah. they're, they're five yeah. pounds of water in a metal canteen. That those things yep. you don't tie them down. You don't you know so yeah. those become rockets and yeah, they you know, they hit you in the head, yep. man. That's shoot. Yep. So how about yep. you, Alex? Have you had any of these kind of uh, events happen yet? Uh, not at Mainline or not at Mainline. Uh, not at Sandpiper. I haven't had anything really extreme hit. Like, I mean, you get your occasional clear airs and stuff like that. Um, I had a, a lot when obviously, you know, in 172 instructing and stuff like that. But the difference between that and what's experienced up at the, the you know, what you guys experience is night and day. Yeah. Um, and but I mean, nothing, nothing too severe. Uh, the only thing that like, I will say about that report is I definitely, um, watching the video and stuff like that. It's, it's amazing to see that even United we're, we're all using the same apps. They're using the same WSI yeah. that Tony was talking about that. Like we look and it's color coded and all that. So if you guys, uh, watch the video that's in the link in the show notes, like it's the same thing. We, you know, yeah. Tony talked about it as like a private pilot, like we're digging into weather charts and we're going through and we're reading yeah. all this stuff, trying to, trying to learn everything. Yeah. But with the WSI, it's easy. It's color coded. Green, yeah. good. Yellow. Okay. Red. No, purple. No good. Not so good. Purple, stay the hell away from yeah. green, orange, and red. Yeah. yeah. Actually the other two I was going to mention too, along those lines, Alex, uh, something I don't know if you guys use, I don't think you do because I don't see you guys on it. I only see legacy and united using it but it's skypath is the name of the app skypath is something that mm -hmm. um we have access to it's an app driven uh, ipad app and it uses the ipad's accelerometers to measure turbulence and then it oh. broadcasts that in the database so anybody who's logged into skypath and their app is sitting on their chart holder it'll actually work um, it'll interact with the network. So when you log in, it'll show you where you are, and then it'll display all the other aircraft that are logged into the network yeah. on the SkyPath app, what their iPads are experiencing, and you can get an idea what the what the turbulence is. And then it'll start telling you ahead of time, hey, Rob, or hey, Tony, Alex, in five minutes, there's been moderate turbulence at your altitude. Mm -hmm. So. You can be like, oh, it's a very yeah and, useful app. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, and I just yes, I don't know if don't you know this, it. Rob, but unfortunately, Legacy Airlines does not pay <laughs> for Wi-Fi over Oceanic. Oh, the ocean. Yeah. So in an area where useful. you would like really use it the most, where you don't yeah. have constant contact with air traffic control although we do have cpdlc and they can send us messages but really you're on your own out there yeah you don't have yeah, that app the second the second thing is that app sucks a lot of bandwidth um so yeah, oh totally and then when yeah. we first started using the app they wanted both pilots to use the app as a great situational awareness tool for it will help prevent the the onslaught of injuries that we've been experiencing with flight attendants and passengers when yeah. turbulence is encountered because obviously it's invisible and you can't see it coming unless you have a 
previous report from an aircraft. And, mm-hmm. and so because of that, they pushed us. And then they said, well, uh, all the pilots, is are, you're, you guys are using way too much data and you guys are going over. And, and uh, you, can just, <laughs> you, know, you shouldn't be watching movies. Uh, like, we can't watch movies. They're black. That, those, all those sites are blacklisted. They yeah. can't. We only have access yeah. to the yeah. company approved things what are you talking about watching movie so it was the sky path so i personally don't use it unless it's beneficial to a particular flight plat uh flight path and then if the captain's using it i don't even bother opening it because you know it is such a a band with hog but it is a great tool it does work you you don't need to have two 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 basic uh two of the same pieces of information Right. Well, we yeah. don't have um, flight deck Wi-Fi anymore on our uh, 175s. They took it away from us even before I got out on the line because apparently people were using way too much bandwidth for the flight deck Wi-Fi. Um, and they were actually catching people like watching movies and, you know, doing trip trades and stuff like that while on the flight deck instead of doing. See, it's know, funny because ours, that. that's all locked out because it's a. You're it's not a, allowed to do that? What? <laughs> well, the, if you're on the company-provided <laughs> flight deck Wi-Fi, which it auto-links to your tablet, all you got to do is turn on the Wi-Fi, nothing will work except for the white-listed approved apps. There is no way to trip trade. There is no way to watch movies. There's no way to, you know, check your Facebook status. There's no way to do that on the company Wi-Fi unless you purchase the passenger's Wi-Fi uh, plan and then you can do it. But then again, it's not a flight deck. It's not company Wi-Fi. It's the go-go or whatever it is, the in-flight Wi-Fi. So I, I don't understand how they can say that too many people are taking advantage of the situation and doing things like watching movies when all that stuff is locked out. I, I think it was just the company's excuse to to get rid of it, um, to Probably. be honest. Um, but we don't have the ability like you guys do. Cause I obviously jump seat on, um, legacy going, you know, out of Ontario to Dallas and which, uh, Tony and I, I don't know if, did we talk about that on, uh, the Kevin Elmore show? I think we did that. I got to finally jump seat with, uh, yeah, you, Tony. you jump sat with me. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, I, I don't get, you know, we obviously get to watch them and you guys get to have WSI up and, you know, like you're saying sky path and stuff like that, but Mm -hmm. we don't have that ability. Like we have to check WSI before we leave and that's about it. So our weather information, if we're going on a two hour flight is two hours old by the time we're getting to where there's weather. Yeah. Well, you're doing it old school. Like the way we used to do it back in my day, we didn't have Wi-Fi tablets. We put it on charts. I mean, like, I guess your dad did it the same way too, Alex, you know, you look, look at the TV or the computer screen, take yeah. a visual snapshot of yeah. where you're going and what it looks like. And off you go. Yeah. But, I mean, it's, it's no different thing. Cause I mean, you know, obviously me being an instructor and that's basically what you teach a student when they're going on a cross country, like, mm-hmm. Hey, this is what you're looking at. This is what it should be. Should is the key word in that sentence should be by the time you get there, but we all know it's weather. So yeah, it's subject to, to change. Sure. But, you can always yeah. call the uh, radio station and say, "Yeah, Cessna one four five. I'm uh, <laughs> on my way on my long cross country. Uh, how's the weather?" That's, and then you'll get some yeah. old timer go, "Well, uh, let me talk to you for thirty minutes yeah. and tell you about this low pressure system yeah. and how many well, millibars." Um, no, seriously, I, I mean that's why you had service. I'm good. That's why you had <laughs> high was and you know yeah. flight service center and you know all those 
um, you know, reporting stations along the way so yeah. that you can get those reports. Yeah. Uh, but like we, like we just talked about, a lot of that stuff is turning to app driven yep. information. Yep. So VORs with weather reporting. Remember that? Yeah. Is that Remember even a that thing? Stuff? Is that a you thing? You get now on, um, if you yeah. buy like a, a little ADSB Stratus receiver, um, yeah. Tony yeah. and I talked about it on our flight and you said, uh, Christy Wong or, uh, sorry, uh, that's probably her not married name anymore. No, Christy Schaefer now. Yes, Christy Schaefer. Schaefer. Yep. Um, she has one. I have one. You know, you can hook it up yeah. in a small GA airplane, and it gives you not only traffic but gives you XM weather off of it, mm-hmm. so that yeah. you can kind of at least somewhat stay to what the current stuff is. But yeah. it's not, you know. Well, for flight is the uh, you know electronic flight bag choice of general aviation if you have a four flight app subscription and you have the stratus gps receiver that you can you know stick to the the side window of your ga airplane you're gonna have everything that the airliners uh, have the mainline guys have um i know we have uh documentation in our manual saying we're not supposed to use any of that stuff because it's not approved for our operation. Um, but I've flown with plenty of captain that they own airplanes and GA airplanes and they have this stuff and some, we don't need to use it, but they just like to whip it out to show me, Oh yeah, when I'm in my GA, look at all this I weather yeah. and traffic and it does everything. And they can even file flight plans through yep. the four flight app. So it's amazing. The, the technology is there even for general aviation. And so yeah. this, this idea of, you know, printing out weather charts and looking at uh, weather prog charts and, you know, low level de- depiction charts for significant weather, all that stuff, turbulence, penetration charts, all that, that's all kind of uh, antiquated with uh, what's available to us now. So, um, yeah, definitely yep. the technology is there. So don't let us, you know, fool you into thinking that, oh, only the uh, mainline guys have the tech. No, it's, it's out there even for the, the Piper Cub pilot out there who's flying along a beautiful tailwheel. They, they have the technology at the palm of their kneeboard as well. Um, we just want to talk about a couple more instances that have hit the news before we move forward. Uh, Houston flight recently uh, had sent five people to the hospital because of what kind of turbulence? Terrifying turbulence. <laughs> five people were hospitalized after a flight heading to Houston hit turbulence. It was United Flight 128. They encountered unexpected turbulence while en route to Houston. Upon arrival, two passengers and three crew members were met by medical personnel and taken to the local hospital with minor injuries. The passengers took off from Rio de Janeiro, uh, Janeiro Gallo, Gallo. International <laughs> Airport uh, at 10. Nailed it. Nailed it. At 10.23 p.m. local time, as the flight neared Cancun, Mexico, the plane unexpectedly dropped 500 feet in just seconds, according to flightaware.com. We do have more audio. Do you want to hear it? Let's do it. Five people aboard a United Airlines flight from Rio de Janeiro to Houston were injured when their flight ran into turbulence while flying over Cancun. The aircraft landed safely this morning. Three crew members and two passengers were seen by paramedics for minor injuries. And to understand a little bit more about what went on here and understand turbulence, it's important to understand how planes fly. The wings of an aircraft are designed to split the airflow created by the engine pulling the aircraft through the air. This creates a pressure oh, the difference above by the and below the wing. That's what creates that upward force called lift. Turbulence oh. is a change in that balance, such as 
wind direction, and speed. Pilots say they were aware of thunderstorms in the area, but this can be very difficult to navigate, to negotiate this. This was the flight headed out to Hawaii. You can see it encountered turbulence 10.35 a.m. Hawaii time on Sunday. It was flying into a headwind, but it was still moving about 415 miles per hour. There were some thunderstorms in the vicinity, but you can see on approach into Hawaii, it's not all that out of the ordinary that the, the aircraft would have to fly through at least some precipitation, of course, doing their best to avoid the most towering thunderstorms and the lightning strikes. This was the other flight that we talked about from Rio that was on its way to Houston. You see where it was, awfully close to the Yucatan Peninsula, Cancun, right over the Yucatan Channel. That plane dropped 500 feet instantaneously, which, of course, is horrifying because of what was occurring here. So there's the turbulence of kind of by the bullet points caused by the abrupt changes in wind speed or pressure that can lead to fast changes in altitude. It's very abrupt, like we saw with that flight early this morning. It's the top cause of injuries on commercial airliners. So it's something that aircraft pilots, airlines do their best to avoid. But this is chaotic motion of air, which we can't see. And unfortunately, it leads to this sometime. And that's a look at where we're seeing some turbulence. Well, you know, Ian Oliver uh, did the reporting. Uh, going to put a link in the show notes. This is another Fox Weather article. He did mention the Hawaii flight. We're going to kind of just uh, peruse that a little bit too, but relatively accurate. I mean, I don't know where he's getting his information, if it's from yeah, Wikipedia it's or if he had an yeah. expert that helped him, or maybe he's a pilot, but very good information, especially from uh, a news article. Um, did a fantastic job explaining um, yeah, we can sit here and critique that. Oh, engine pulls there. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. We could be more technical, and and but he gets the gist of it, right? So the mm -hmm. airplane, yeah. you know, it, it, the engines propel the aircraft forward. That creates an airflow over the top and the bottom of the wing. The air that goes over the top of the wing travels a further distance. Therefore, it has to speed up. The Venturi effect. Blah 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 blah. blah. And a disruption to that would cause a disruption to lift. Um, and would cause the airplane to clear air turbulence, or in this case with the Hawaiian flight that happened not very long ago, they had some convective activity in the area, and the convective turbulence happened. Um, this was a, an article, the one I just played a, an audio clip from, uh, by Hillary Andrews from the Fox Weather Channel, and the reporter, I believe his name was Ian, um, but I'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, you can read the, the full article if you want. There's plenty of other links there for the other scenarios. And we talked about all this, right? How we've experienced this very similar thing. Um, severe air turbulence can, though, cause a lot more than just a few people going to the hospital with some minor injuries. As it happened here on uh, December 19th, uh, Johnny Jett from johnnyjet.com talks about how the hawaiian injuries uh ranked in the dozens of passengers um some severe with flight attendants going to the hospital and you can look at these videos you see them all over social media with bleeding from the head and the eyes you can, uh, panels in the aircraft that yeah. have been dislodged uh, holes in the panel um they obviously from from water bottles and things like that um that was very very dramatic and that's what was on our minds this yesterday and day before when we were going and coming from kona uh to we didn't want anything like that to happen to us um 
So uh, more than usual, I was communicating on the frequency of one, two, three, decimal four, five, which is hey, the fingers. fingers. Yeah. So when you're over oceanic, the number one radio the procedure is uh, you monitor guard. Uh, your CPDLC um, is kind of like the text messaging we get from ATC on the CPDLC computer through the FMGC. Um, and so the ATC, we communicate with them. They communicate with us that way, not over the radio. Uh, we don't have to do the HF or high-frequency radios anymore. Those are those radios that they're constantly... Uh, it's uh, Was it very high or very low frequency? I forget which one. Ultra high. H HF UHF. is just high frequency. We use uh, UHF for normal flying. Yeah, UHF for normal and, and HF for 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 this overwater. But you're constantly hearing that, right? So you don't monitor. That's, that's HF. Right. You. But they can give you what's called a cell call. So what happens is you're not listening to anything, but then the radio station can send you a cell call. And inside the aircraft, you'll hear like a phone ringing, like, and you look down and it's the HF button. So you turn on the speaker and you say, this is a legacy, whatever. And they'll call you that way. So if they can't get a hold of you through CPA DLC, the old way is through HF. Um, but now that doesn't really give us heads up on bumps ahead. So we're constantly monitoring on a second radio, uh, one, two, three decimal four, five or the common traffic frequency for over oceanic. And we also have uh, a new box on the, on the panel, um, which gives us traffic information. So we can go through the traffic list. Um, and do you remember what that's called? Rob? CDTI? CDTI, yeah. So we're going yeah, through a test. display of traffic information. Yes. Ooh. Bam. Nailed it. Wow. That, that deserves a nailed it. That, you know what? I'm impressed. I, I study. I studied. Yeah. Did and you just go through recurrence? Is that why? I have going? no clue no, no. how to use that thing other than I know how to find the traffic and designate it and turn uh -huh. it on and off. That's it. <laughs> that's pretty much it. I, mean, I don't know how to do all the the only thing is spacing. Yeah, that's on. That's I played with it, but I haven't had to do uh, it. Uh, only for going yeah. into Albuquerque, will they ask you to yeah. participate, yeah. and you don't have to participate. But anyway, yeah. so I, I'm like, here I am. The captain and I were like going through and go, oh, let's let's call Delta. So we called Delta, and we're like, hey guys, we see you're uh, two thousand feet below us, uh, about hundred miles ahead on the uh, Foxtrot track. Uh, how are your rides? And so we were going back and forth. Uh, we were actually flying, our own speed was about 55 knots faster than their speed. And I said, okay, well, we, their distance and our speed have been out two hours. We're going to catch up to them. And he goes, oh, yeah. So two hours later, sure enough, we did an offset two miles and we flew right past them. And uh, they call us on fingers and they go, hey, uh, a legacy, uh, you guys want photos of your airplane passing overhead? <laughs> and we're like, cool, <laughs> yeah. He goes, hey, you want us to airdrop them to you? I'm like, yeah, for sure. So I turned on my airdrop because the captain didn't have an Android. He couldn't do it. So I turned on my airdrop and it we we were going so fast that we had the separation was too too much. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. So he gave me his number and when we landed, they were going Oh, okay, cool. They were going to Honolulu and and we were going to Kona. That's awesome. So I got some I pictures. I was wondering if that worked at that distance. I, I've heard it hat working once yeah. in a while. If you're a thousand feet, like right over the top of each other, it'll yeah. work. But the minute you start pulling away, it yeah. It won't work. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that I tried it or anything, but yeah. yeah. Oh, that's fine. Well, I, I'll tell you one thing, a uh, sidebar here. Um, I usually turn off everything like Bluetooth and Wi-Fi because I just don't yeah. want my battery to be dead when I land, right? And it's, you know, airplane mode. And a couple times I've left the Bluetooth on just inadvertently. And <laughs> months ago I get a ding ding. And I'm like, huh? And what's going on? Somebody's trying to airdrop me a photo. Must be one of the passengers. Uh -oh. 
Oh, the captain goes, dude, delete it, delete it. Flight. Delete yeah. it. And I'm like, no, let's see what we're dealing with. And it's some kid, you know, he's like, he just took a picture of him, selfie of himself back, back of the airplane. And he just airdropped it to everybody on his list. Right. Yeah. So I'm like, look at this kid, uh, you know? And so a minute later, ding, another one. Captain goes, dude, don't open it. Don't open it. I'm like, no, no, I'm going to open it. So I open it. And it's another picture of him. And it's totally fine. You know, I'm like, oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. So then I turned it off and who knows. And so here I was like a month later and I was telling a captain, I was like, yeah, dude, have you ever had anyone uh, airdrop you a picture of themselves while they're flying? He's like, no, never. And I'm like, well, leave your Bluetooth on and see what happens. People are doing this. It's a thing now. So sure enough, I turned on my Bluetooth. He turned on his Bluetooth. And like five minutes later, we both got ding ding. And it's a, he goes, oh, I don't want to open that. <laughs> I'm like, why don't you just delete it? Whatever. You know? So I opened it and it was a picture of a female passenger. And it's like, hi, my name is like Sarah or something. And I'm like, that's weird. So what do I do? <laughs> I go on the passenger list and go, Sarah, Sarah. Oh, there she is. Uh, Sarah looks like she's traveling with her husband. Uh, like maybe she's trying to start a fight. What's going on? <laughs> Delete. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. yeah. So if you're a pilot, please don't airdrop passengers selfies of you on the flight deck while you're cruising along yeah. 36,000 feet. That's really... and I, you got to change the name of your, uh, <laughs> your, you got to change the name of your phone too. Yeah. That way it's just some generic name or, you know, when they see airdrop, it's coming across as something. Yeah. Mine's uh, just so you know, if you're ever on a flight and you see uh, the matrix phone patch, that's, that's my iPhone. Nice. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, back to this turbulence thing, uh, just to wrap it up. Um, you know, there was a, a very good article when we were doing the research for this show, uh, physics.org. Um, and actually it's phys.org. I'll put a link in the show notes and it talks about the world's largest turbulence simulation and how it unmasks the flow of energy in atmospherical plasmas. So for those that really want to understand turbulence, I'm not even going to attempt, but this is the first clear 3d explanation in the article. They talk about how our direct numerological simulation is the first to provide clear identification of this heating mechanism in 3d space said Sean Fei Dong, a physicist at the PPPL and Princeton University, who unmasked the process by conducting 200 million hours of computer time for the world's largest simulation of its kind. Current telescope and spacecraft instruments may not have had high enough resolution to identify the process occurring at small scales, said Dong, who details the breakthrough in the Journal of Science Advances. So for those of you who think that... You'd like to have a cup of coffee and read a scientific journal that explains the energy in atmospheric plasmas. I'll put a link in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> but turbulence that happens in the air can also happen on the ground. What am I talking about? I'm talking about what happened in Denver just a few days ago for Southwest Airlines. Recently, oh Southwest Airlines had a catastrophe on their hands of cancellations, not caused by weather per se, but by ramp agents that walked off the job, causing the company to state a state of emergency. Now, technically, according to paddleyourowncanoe.com, Southwest denies the allegations that ramp agents in Denver walked off the jobs, the job leading to cancellations. 
Southwest Airlines says rumors that as many as 150 ramp agents in Denver walked off the job over the last few days after an internal memo from management told staffers that they would be directed to do mandatory override, overtime, or face the threat of termination there uh, are unfolding. Operations in Denver have been under strain as a result of Winter Storm Elliot. Elliot. And ramp mm. agents have been working outside in treacherous conditions and sub-zero temperatures. A Southwest Airlines spokesperson said a decision to rotate ramp crew more often was behind some of the long flight delays and cancellations. Southwest Airlines has been forced to cancel hundreds of flights across its system as a result of the wintry conditions sweeping the United States. Although the airline is under so much pressure, even it can't say exactly how many flights have been canceled or have been scrapped over the last few days. As cancellations started to stack up, there were rumors of mass walkouts by ramp agents due to the working conditions. Rumors were accompanied by an internal memo, a memo that allegedly threatened termination of employees who refused the mandatory overtime. The memo also warned a high number of absences that had necessitated the airline to declare a state of operational emergency in Denver. Ramp agents were told that employees alleging illness would need to provide a doctor's note and the failure to comply would be considered insubordination and abuse of sick leave, which would result in their termination. Taking to Twitter, John Erickson described Southwest as, quote, the worst airline ever, end quote, after he was stranded in Denver. No gate agents, no flights. Long lines literally canceled everything and left people stranded. Shameful, Erickson wrote. So, yeah, it, it hit the news. Yeah. It hit social media. Um, I know Alex found uh, the internal memo itself. Yeah. Uh, Alex, do you have that? I do. Do you want me to read it? Sure. Yeah. All right. So uh, this is from the, I have no clue who he is, but he's obviously some senior up in Southwest's uh, uh, company here. Um, and it's dated the 21st of uh, December this year. Uh, give me a second. I'm trying to, to pull it up as I'm getting all this as we're talking. All right. So this is, it's a memo dated the 21st of December uh, to the Denver ramp agents from Chris Johnson, whoever he is, I'm assuming some high CEO level of person. Um, but he says, the subject is state of operational emergency. We have received an, an unusual high number of absences, sick calls, RPAs, and et cetera, this afternoon and evening from our Denver ramp agents. We have an obligation to our customers and to our fellow employees to safely and efficiently run our operation. Therefore, due to personnel shortage, I am declaring Denver in a state of operational emergency effective December 21st, 2022 at 1345 Mountain Standard Time. One, due to the emergency, we will direct employees alleging illness to provide a doctor's note on the first day return to work, indicating when the doctor was seen and confirming that the employee was unable to work on the dates he claimed. The only exception to will be an illness or absence which is covered by an existing FMLA case. Failure to comply will be considered insubordination and abuse of sick leave, which will result in your termination. Note, given the emergency and the need to have heightened verification of illness, 
Telemed or telehealth doctor's notes will not be accepted to excuse an absence of illness during the state of operational emergency. Two, due to the emergency, the company will deny requests for reported personal absences, RPAs. Agents will be directed to work their regular shift. Failure to comply will be considered insubordination and result in termination. Three, due to emergency, lack of names in the overtime book, call book exhausted, and lack of volunteers, we will use mandatory overtime, Article 7, Section or paragraph one, section six, regardless of the employee's status. If an employee refuses to work the mandatory overtime, failure to comply will be considered insubordination and will result in termination. Due to the emergency shift trades, which are turned in less than 12 hours prior to the starting time of the first indicated trade, will be denied, except any exception will be at management's discretion, as outlined in Article 6 of the CBA. This operational emergency will remain in place until it is lifted by memo from me advising of the same. This is not the communication I or any leader want to issue, but it is necessary to get the agents back on track in order to serve our customers. And this uh, this was found here on Twitter. Um, I'll see if I can put a link in the show note uh, for it. Anybody can read it, but you, you did a great job reading the whole thing. Now, anytime you see this, I mean, we've seen this before, even regardless of a storm like this happening where they do IROPS or irregular operations or whatever your company calls it, right? Um, OSO. OSO or whatever, off-schedule operations. Um, and and they, they go, well, if you call in sick, I'm going to ask for a doctor's note. And usually in the contract, whether it's pilot contract, flight attendant contract, gate agent contract, mechanic contract, doesn't matter. There's usually some kind of provisions as stated here. Now. In in my opinion, for whatever it's worth, for all five of you listeners out there listening to the show, is it wrong for a member of management to send out a memo like this? Eh, not really. I mean, clearly they had a state of emergency. Yes, when the weather gets bad, it doesn't matter if it's Denver or Chicago or New York or wherever. Any major hub that has bad weather, they're going to have an uptick of sick calls that people just go, either I can't get a babysitter, I can't get to work, the roads are closed, my transportation is is not there, whatever. These things are going to happen. Now, they're not all out of malice. They're not all out of, hey, man, F this company, I hate this company, I'm not going to show up because if the weather is bad, you know what you signed up for when you decide to be a rampage. And that's usually why they pay so well because you're out there doing physical work out in the elements and it's dangerous. You usually get some kind of hazard pay, you know, provisions in there. Now, if they would have said that anytime the weather gets to the point where they declare a weather event that you get paid time and a half, I guarantee you they're not going to have as many sick calls. And we are seeing this happening on at least on the pilot scale, where there are companies now that are offering premium pay for holidays, as Legacy Airlines has done for the first time. And we like I picked up a Christmas trip. Did I want to be off at home with my family on my birthday? Sure. But, you know, we I've been an airline pilot now flying the line for close to 20 years. It's not my first rodeo. We celebrate on a day earlier. It's no big deal. And I went out there and I, you know, I scratch your back, you scratch mine. You pay me a little extra and I'll come in on the day I don't want to be there. And it was not a big deal. Um, I think that if Southwest took a different approach to this and offered saying, listen, we got a a weather event happening and we're going to have this provision that anyone that can show up to work, regardless, uh, you get paid a premium 
stipend, whether you're scheduled or not. If you want to pick up a shift, you know, we'll give you the same stipend. I, I guarantee you that approach would have garnered a much better response because maybe not everyone that called out sick was because they were out of malice, but I'm sure there were plenty that said, what the heck? F these guys, right? Um, you get a lot more ants with sugar than you do vinegar or whatever, however that saying goes. So I think it was kind of a, a bad scenario, uh, maybe a, a little PR problem uh, or maybe employee relations problem, I should say. So but the trickle down effect of this affected, uh, I think like the last count, they canceled 70% of their flights. Yeah. Not, I'm not just saying did the, it was all in Denver that this happened. I mean, I was assuming that this happened at multiple different locations. Denver was just the one we heard about. But yeah. like, I, I, you know, my wife sent me a couple TikTok videos um, of San Diego International Airport and just the baggage claim area is just littered with all these bags from people who didn't make the connection to San Diego, but their bags did. You know, it's a eight hour wait to go talk to somebody in the, the, you know, help desk area for Southwest. Uh, she just sent me one while we were on the phone of, and I forgot that this happened. Their crew scheduling was a 23 hour hold. Wow. To talk to somebody in crew scheduling 23 hours. And I, I get it. The guy who was saying it was saying that like, you know, you've got, you know, five to six people, crew members on the, the plane. And their plane gets their flight gets canceled. They're all calling in to talk to somebody in crew scheduling. There's only a limited amount of people in crew scheduling as it stands, right? So now if you've got, you know, 10 flights canceled, that's 50 to 60 people calling just off of that airport, trickled out across the country of having 70% of their flights canceled. Everybody's up in arms about what do we do? You know, like right. it, it's just it's bad. It was a it, it was bad PR, bad everything that happened to them. And you're right, they could have handled it better by saying, "Hey, look, if you come in, we'll pay you time and a half. We'll pay you, you know, two hundred percent. We'll 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 compensate you. We'll take care of you for what you needed for this emergency or this 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 bad weather going on right now." Yeah, and, and there are like repercussions to doing something like that, though. Um, in all fairness, um, you know, because if you do that with ramp agents and the gate agents go, "Well, what about me? It's not fair." And then the pilots will be like, "Well, what about us? It's not fair." So, yes, uh, my advice is grow up and get the f over it. Um, you know, you got to <laughs> do what you got to do. That's one. The second thing is flying for the carrier that I fly, that Rob and I fly for. Um, they have proactive procedures in place. Anytime a major storm is going to hit, guess what they do? They call out the reserves and offer premium pay for any crew scheduler to come in and work on their day off. And they bump the payroll for such an occasion because they know that a storm is coming. This winter storm Elliot was making the news days, if not weeks, in advance. So really, there was no need for this to happen we're not here to criticize southwest for how they handled the situation because we don't have all the facts what we are saying is this is something that has happened um it did create a problem with the flying schedule it did create a problem with the passengers ability to get to the holidays with their families and that's always a time of year where you want to do everything you can to make the travel experience because some people only travel once a year and that's usually during the holiday season the rest of the time they're not going on vacation they're just working and going to school or you know 
working their jobs and raising a family. And but when they do travel, it's going to be those are the once a, once a year travelers. They're not experienced, so you want to give them the best experience possible, so that the next time they book that trip or that vacation that they go well i had such a good experience on this carrier i'm going to go with them regardless of what the lowest ticket price is that's what you want to offer and having scenarios like these play out definitely hurt the company now this is an aviation podcast about the journey of today's aviator why does this matter well because your growth at an airline is dependent on how well that airline does. Legacy is no exception. So when we have on-time departures, when we can make everything work and, and the train stays on the tracks, then their company is going to do well. And when the company does well, that means growth. That may not need, mean a better contract right away, but that might mean an upgrade faster. It might mean better schedule. It might mean better equipment. So when we do well, we all do well. Um, yep. So it, it's kind of a tough road to navigate when you're dealing with storms like this and turbulence and cancellations and bad publicity on whatever yeah. social media platform and the news. But you got to navigate it. And it's something that we as pilots really don't think much about. We're really good at critiquing, but it's a hard job. These people that run these multi-billion, if not trillion dollar international airlines, it's not an easy job. They're not stupid. Yeah, we talk okay, so about it all the time. When you talk about the big picture, Tony, you know, you, we joke about it. Yeah, you don't get the big picture until you retire, right? And everybody signed it and they kick you out the door. That's right. But yeah, you're right. You know, as uh, aviators, pilots, you know, we do have a very important job. And we like to think that, you know, we can run the airline from the cockpit because that's what it feels like we're doing up there. But it's not true. You know, there is... So many moving pieces to the operation that we have no tangible effect on. Um, and uh, and a lot of times people just don't understand. Um, I'm very fortunate to be very good friends with a lot of people that work in corporate, the higher director levels and stuff like that. And, you know, I just just uh, casual conversations with them. You know, I understand, you know, a lot of the things that happen um outside of you know the corporate headquarters that people just don't understand you know just like these meltdowns that we that that southwest is experiencing right now you know unfortunately um what has worked for southwest uh for so long you know the way they run their system they don't have that hub and spoke system like we do um or that united uses or that delta uses um they run their schedule a uniquely different way and it's worked for them so well um but unfortunately um there are weaknesses to every you know way that they, they operate uh same way uh, same with us there's our weaknesses to our operation and whenever you know the perfect storm mounts and it uh and it and it happens to you know go through all those swiss cheese holes <laughs> in their <laughs> model um this is what happens and you know their uh, workforce um contrary to popular belief it's just like ours you know there's a lot of happy people but there are definitely um, uh, definitely a good amount of people that are unhappy with their contract and the way they're being treated at their own airline. Um, and, um, 
you know, the the holidays are particularly stressful for a lot of workers because, you know, a lot of them just want to be home with their families. They want to pay their bills. They want to get their kids gifts and stuff like that. And they don't want to be, you know, at the airport. Um, you know, a lot of them tr- have to be because they have to work, you know, works two shifts or whatever just to make ends meet. But, um, you know, I guess what I'm trying to say is that there's there's a. Uh, you know, when you have weather like this and you have the holidays and, you know, there's just a breaking point where, you know, people are just going to say, you know what, I'm not feeling good. I'm not going to go to work. I'm just going to go home and stay home with my family and I'll come back to work, you know, in a couple of days or so. And exactly everything is straightened out. Yeah. And they're also, you know, up against the, uh, the staffing issue like we are, like everybody is, you know, the you know, obviously the big thing is the pilot shortage and contrary to some articles that I've read, they say that there are no pilot shortages. Well, <laughs> it's here. It's it's happening. You know, I think there's pilots in the pipeline, but they're not ready to come sit in the cock, pop, cockpit with any one of us on this podcast right now because they require a, a whole bunch of training. So there mm-hmm. is a shortage. So yeah. um, whatever they were talking about is not true. Um, well, maybe not 100% true, but, you know. There are um, great demands in labor all over the board. And and a lot of people don't even think about this either. The contracted um, contracted companies that support the airlines are suffering from the same thing too. Yeah. You know, when, when we get fuel, it's not a, you know, it's not a, a legacy airlines gas person pulling up to the airplane to put gas in the airplane. That's a contracted service. So they're, staffing their company their people may be you know calling in sick or they may be you know suffering from supply or maintenance problems in, that are being affected by the cold and 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 everything and and you and and, and then you know I'm all over the place with this here and you also got to remember you know planes come from all over the country to pick you up to take you where you're going from so just because it's sunny and warm in your climate where you're departing from or where you're going to doesn't mean that that's where your plane is to pick you up that plane may be coming from that denver airport or that chicago airport or you know from that thunderstorm that was just through orlando so that's where things get all kind of derailed and off the track so your plane is not going to get there your cockpit crew is not going to get there and your cabin crew may not be there. And, you know, we got this huge disaster that just unfolds in yeah. front of your eyes. Yeah. Next time you have I a passenger. I think they also had a computer issue too. Did that? Yeah. So I think that's. That I think, doesn't help. <laughs> uh, you know, obviously everything's speculation because I don't, I don't have any, any, you know, valid source, but, you know, just reading articles and, and, listening to the news and and uh, reading some social media stuff i believe they've had some kind of a computer malfunction and the the airline has been forced to completely shut down the operation yeah, they have a reboot reset the whole, thing, yeah. the whole computer network and then start it back up Ooh. and um i heard there was a couple flights that are out flying today um, but they were only able to get airborne because they were able to do, to manually dispatch the airplane. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it took them hours to get that just going because they have to manually calculate and get all the approvals through their manual 
authorizations school, to fly yeah. the airplanes and all this stuff. So. Sabotage. Anyway, sorry, I was all over the place no, with that. Good. But um, so I grew up in the industry, right? I've been in the airline industry uh, since I was a kid, right? My dad flew for Legacy Airlines, retired back in 2013, and I, I mean, obviously, this is 9/11 before. For 9-11 and 9-11 kind of hurt the whole airline industry and kind of revamped everything that we do as it is right now. But I can remember as a kid that there used to be flight after flight after flight out of all these different locations, you know, and they would send out flights two thirds full and all this stuff. And, you know, now it's like we're we're oversold by, you know, 17 seats and we need, you know, four people to, to, to give up their seats and we'll give them a credit voucher. And, you know, now there's only three flights a day running from, you know, insert city here to some major hub here. Right. And, you know, all these flights are all gone and, you know, maybe, maybe, and this is me speculating and putting stuff back, but maybe we go back to some of those older adages where we send a flight out two thirds full and, you know, we have five flights instead of, you know, two flights a day and get more people on the airplane because more butts and seats again, like what Tony was saying is I had a great experience on them. I've only flown, you know, but once a year, I'm going to fly I'm, I'm going to fly on American or I'm going to fly on United again because I yeah. I had a great yeah. experience when I did that. Right. Well, well over I I, I hear yeah, I hear what you're saying but you know what Alex I I gonna, hate to contradict you it, it's not going to happen. It's it's like, oh, just, I know it's not. I know it's not. Whose whose tickets are the least you know what's the least price right. from point a to point b uh, no one and goes by loyalty yeah. anymore well in yeah. the days I mean, of uh travel agencies where you'd go to the local strip mall and go hey i'd like to book a flight uh, vacation and right. the travel agent will go well i can get you because they knew right because they did this for a living they knew well i can get you a cheaper ticket but you're you know you're Trust me, you're going to go with this one. And with that, they would then get kickbacks from those airlines. And then when they would go themselves on on uh, vacations, they'd basically go for free because they got commissions from all those bookings. Well, the travel agency profession is all but dwindled down to almost nothing because yep. the internet is your place to go to book a flight. You go to Travelocity or Bookings.com or one of these websites, and you're, and you're going to go with the cheapest fare. And maybe you'll look at and see an ultra-low-cost carrier and go, eh, I'll pay an extra 100 bucks and go on this other one because I know I'm going to probably have a bad experience. But really, the two factors are ticket cost and the fastest routing or the least connections, right? So everybody wants to go direct. Everybody wants to get their $99 tickets and everybody wants their bags to fly free. And unfortunately, you can't have you can have two, but you can't have all three. That's like the, the rule. <laughs> right. So uh, unfortunately, the days of any open seats, it's it's even though the optics are terrible, it's better to oversell a flight, pay someone off and have that flight go full because sometimes the difference between that flight being profitable, breaking even or being in the red can come down to one or two seat sales. So that's unfortunately the game we've played because everyone's shooting for that bottom line on the highest amount they can charge for a particular ticket for a particular seat. And we're not even going to get into that because we're already going long today. Um, mm -hmm. We could do a whole, we could do a whole series on ticket seat sales prices and how, how much did the person next to you pay for their ticket versus your ticket? And when did they buy it versus when you bought it? And where in the airplane is that seat located? And all you name it. Yeah. So, yes. yeah. The only thing, the only thing I'll say off of that, and this is where it hurts travelers nowadays and going into this, and this obviously into the holiday season, especially if they're delayed and all this, right? 
is, you know, you buy off of Travelocity, Expedia, insert website here, and you get your connection. And I'm just going to use cities that I know that legacy flies, right? So they're going to fly from Ontario to Dallas and Dallas to Springfield, Missouri, right? So you're going to connect. There's no direct flight from Ontario to Springfield, Missouri. So you fly and you book your flight on the Ontario to Dallas and that's an eight o'clock connect or eight o'clock flight departure. And it lands in Dallas. What is the three hour flight plus two? So it lands in Dallas at one o'clock and your flight to Springfield's at one forty-five, because that's the way that the system worked because that's the only tickets that are available. They're not looking into, okay, well you get into Dallas and you know, it's going to take you 20 minutes just to get from the C gates over to the B gates to connect out on that flight to go to Springfield. And let alone if you're delayed getting in on the ground, or if you land on the far side of the airport landing on, um, uh, what is it? One seven left or three, five, right. And then have to taxi all the way around to the gates and get there and then make your connection or, or what have you, right? Like they're not taking into that account. They're just looking at cool. They can make this flight. They can make this flight. The flights don't overlap. So they're not having any connections. And then what do you see happening in Dallas all the time? You see the people in a dead sprint in the terminal running with their bags in tow and all that stuff and it's you know <laughs> yeah and and that's that's if everything goes according to plan let alone if you have any type of delays in the system because of weather or turbulence or you got a de-ice or your fueler added more fuel instead of taking off fuel for you you know like it, it the system yeah. is in a way broken but there's not really any good turnarounds to fix it they designed the productivity to be in this beautiful little utopic scenario where everything's on time and then if that happens we'll have like a perfect day or a perfect you know scenario where you know the minimum turn time is there everybody's on time no one's been delayed and it all if that were to happen every day it's it would be great the 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 company would be profitable and everything would be fantastic. But unfortunately, we don't live in that perfect world. So you mm -hmm. always have to have a margin of error. Any calculation, any scientific experiment, you have to have this, you know, calculation in there or margin of error. Um, and that 35, 40, 45 minimum turn time, minimum connection time, among one of the many things that is in this super complicated, um, you know, scenario or protocol that, that makes an airline run. Um, those minimums are just that they're minimums. You should allow yourself as an experienced traveler or employee too. you should allow yourself, um, that extra time. Now I know we're, we're kind of running a little bit long. I want to get to the good news. We want to wrap up the final show of 2022 with some yeah. good news. Yeah. So I wanted to talk about the, the new procedure, the first airport since nine 11 to bring this back. And it brings us back to the good old days of aviation. Why my name, Richard? Because you're getting on that plane. I don't understand. What about you? I'm staying here with him till the plane gets safely away. No, Richard, no. What has happened to you last night? Last we night we said a great many things. You said I was to do the thinking for both of us. Well, I've done a lot of it since then. It all adds up to one thing. You're getting on that plane with Victor where you belong. But Richard, no one. Now, I'm... you've got to listen to me. 
You have any idea what you'd have to look forward to if you stayed here? Nine chances out of ten, we'd both wind up at a concentration camp. Isn't that true, Louis? I'm afraid, Major Strauss, I would insist. You're saying this only to make me go. I'm saying it because it's true. Inside of us, we both know you belong with Victor. You're part of his work, the thing that keeps him going. If that plane leaves the ground and you're not with him, you'll regret it. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but soon and for the rest of your life. But what about us? We'll always have Paris. We didn't have, we, we lost it until you came to Casablanca. We got it back last night. When I said I would never leave you. And you never will. But I've got a job to do too. Where I'm going, you can't follow. What I've got to do, you can't be any part of. Ilza, I'm no good at being noble, but it doesn't take much to see that the problems of three little people don't amount to a hill of beans in this crazy world. Someday you'll understand that. Well, that's right. The oh, kiss the music. and fly. The kiss and fly is back. Now, the TSA, only ticketed passengers can go beyond the TSA checkpoint, right? Well, Ontario International Airport is launching a visitor pass program that will give non-travelers access to the post-security side of the airport. Once again, the pass, named ONT Plus, will be free and work similarly to a plane ticket, non-travelers will present their passes and photo ID at security and must abide by TSA regulations to get through. Once through, non-travelers will not only have access to the gates, but they can also enjoy many restaurants, retails, uh, retailers, and high-end lounges, which the airport has heavily invested in, uh, heavily invested in since 2016. We all remember the excitement of being able to meet arriving family and friends as they get off the plane. The ONT Plus is a way to bring that back. Some of that experience, uh, some of those experiences from decades ago in a safe and secure manner, said Dean Brown, the Ontario Public Safety Administrator, in a statement. So, you know, seeing off your loved ones, uh, making a run, a dash to the airport, to the gate, to tell your loved one that you, that you still love them. You don't want them to go. Oh, what shall I do? That, That's awesome. That is yeah. all coming back. And I hope that other airports around the country follow the same suit. I'll put a link in the show notes. I don't know if <laughs> there's, there's a limited amount of links I can put it in the show notes. Yeah. There's a lot of them. On the, this gears, <laughs> the gears are spinning in my head. The only thing I could think of is the airlines. If this works, the airlines are going to see this as a revenue making opportunity. Oh, 100%. They're well, going to the charge $5, $10 or whatever. Well, if you want to go see your family off to the gate, man, I tell you. Yeah, Seattle does have do a similar program. I know they, um, they have what's called a C a visitor pass, the Seattle visitor pass. Um, mm -hmm. But it requires you to to apply online. You have to be screened through the airport security, uh, apply online to get this pass. Mm -hmm. And then once you've been, it's kind of like TSA pre-check kind of thing or clear. Um uh, which for those you you have to have a ticket. You have to be a ticketed passenger. So um, I mean, the, all cool. those uh, malls and stores and high end boutiques and restaurants they they need to make more revenue. They they lost a lot during this yeah. whole pandemic. So by allowing non travel passengers through, that's going to help the revenue of the of the airport, the city to make money. So so yeah. Well, I I was in uh, during the holidays. I was I I. I got my wife a new purse a coach purse yeah. and i went uh where was i, I was in uh, philadelphia three-hour layover 
and they had a coach store there. So I went in and I looked and like the purse that I saw in there was like, I don't know, $600 or something like that. And I'm like, nah, I love my wife, but I'm sure. not buying her a $600 purse. Oh, careful, you know? careful. So, <laughs> no, but see, so I took a picture of it and, um, and then I, I went to the outlet over here in, um, in Texas mm -hmm. and that same purse, I took the picture, showed the lady. I was like, Hey, this, this is a purse I saw that I, I'm kind of interested in. She brought me over. It was $200. Good job. At the outlet. Good job. And your wife but is probably. Somebody's, somebody's going to pay $600 for that purse. She's happy. There, she's happy that you got her the purse, I'm sure. But she's probably. Well, I showed even, her online. I was like, it's $600. She's like, what? She's probably even paid? more I'm impressed like, yes. that you paid that too. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and that's a common thing, you know, they're so expensive. The boat, but you're, anyway. <laughs> you're a captive audience at the airport. And so, and I've asked, I went into the uh, iStore in JFK one time, and I'm like, dude, this, I had like a three-hour sit in JFK. I walked in there, and the young employee was sitting there, and I'm like, how do you stay in business, man? You got to tell me, because I, I've always wondered. I mean, I, I don't ever see anybody in here. Everything's like high retail over sticker yeah and he's like oh all it takes is one celebrity and their entourage to come through here they'll spend 120k in cash and we mail everything yeah. out and that I pays the rent for at least six months and all we got to do is have that happen two or three four times a year and we're golden the rest of the stuff is just like we're just here for people that you know forgot a charger yeah. or something yeah and i firmly believe people will actually window shop in those stores kind of like what i did and then they'll go to one of those stores in some other area. And that's what keeps those stores in business because they, you know, yeah. they pre-bought it there in this airport by looking at it and then they'll buy it somewhere else. Yeah. Which it, it makes sense. It's a good strategy. Sure. Well, you yeah. can go down to Canal Street in New York if you guys are ever out there and, you know, go get a Coax <laughs> no. purse or a, 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 a oh. Romax watch while you're there. I was going to say, did you see that article where they took the uh, Payless shoes? Oh, and yeah. they took all the all the shoes and they put them in a store and then they said, "Oh, these are designer, blah blah blah." And everybody come to buy them and they're like five paying five hundred dollars, whatever mm -hmm. for these shoes. And they're like, "Oh, they're fantastic! They're so stylish." And it goes with my Gucci. And then, and then they told them, "Yeah, you know these are twenty dollars at the Payless store. We just brought them over here, reboxed them, rebranded them." They're like, mm -hmm. "Really?" Yeah, That's all it is. It's branding. It's it is. You yeah, go buy branding. a North Face jacket. Yeah, the technology is there, but you're paying for that little logo that's right there yep. on your chest. I have a North Face jacket that's not a North Face that I paid $45 at Sam's Club for. What yeah. is it, an East Face? No. <laughs> yeah. It's Nor, not North. Nor. Yeah. Nor Face. No, it's Norse. Norse. <laughs> Norse. <laughs> Norse Face. Yeah. <laughs> Right on. Well, you know, uh, another another good news. Uh, Spirit joins forces with L3 Harris in an effort uh, to recruit future pilots. Uh, cool. uh, .com. Uh Sky's the limit for aspiring Spirit Airlines pilots. The career today and the carrier today announced a partnership with L3 Harris to launch the new Spirit Wings program, a pilot pathway and partnership program in Sanford, Florida, that aims to expand the carrier's pipeline of highly skilled professional pilots. L3 Harris's Flight Academy is conveniently located near one of Spirit's largest operations hubs in Orlando, Florida, providing graduates with numerous opportunities to build relationships, access the airline's nearby training facilities, 
studies and advanced to a rewarding career as a spirit first officer. Uh, quoted as uh, saying L3 Harris is a great partner for us to become... L3 Harris is a great partner for us because of its history of developing highly skilled pilots through the state-of-the-art technology training with a modern fleet, as well as a commitment to safety and excellence, said Ryan Rodosta, Senior Director of Flight Operations and Systems Chief Pilot at Spirit Airlines. Our fleet is the... Uh, our fleet is growing fast creating plenty of opportunities for L3 Harris graduates and the next generations of pilots to build their future at Spirit. So, United started with AV8 down at, was it Goodyear, I think? And mm -hmm. now Spirit is joining team up with uh, L3 Harris flight training. And this is yeah. great news. You can, if you're an aspiring pilot looking at job opportunities, education opportunities yep. maybe this might be a good fit for you so yep. a buddy of mine just finished training at l3 harris and now he's finishing his uh his uh 175 training at uh sandpiper right now so he'll be a couple couple numbers junior to you alex couple <laughs> so that i'm mean, like that's I, awesome I, i'm it's weird now that i've got these I, and I flew with three of them on my last three sequences i'm a senior to some of the captains now because yep. they're the direct street hires. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Like, and uh, which means when you upgrade, you're gonna boom, hold the line. Oh yeah. yeah. No, I had a flight. I had two flight attendants that graduated November 29th, and a street hire captain who came. His IOE was done on December 3rd. I was the senior most person on that airplane. That's crazy. That's really crazy. <laughs> and That's I've scary. Only with, so scary. I've only been with the company <laughs> on the line since. Uh, yeah. Uh, what the end of yeah. uh, March? I may no, still be on July? probation, but I out yeah. out senior rank out, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still on probation, but I'm out senior to everybody here. So, I like it. <laughs> congratulations, Alex! Absolutely. Cool. Well, our final good news. Uh, we're going to wrap up the show with this one. Polaris, the dog, was abandoned at the San Francisco International Airport earlier this fall. Thanks to a United Airlines employee, the pup now has a new place to call home. Polaris arrived at the airport with a traveler from an international destination, but the traveler continued on without him. United oh. ensured that Polaris completed the requirements to enter the United States, and together with the San Francisco SPCA, they teamed up to find Polaris a forever home with a United captain, William Dale and his family. Sometimes we deal with the craziest of situations, United Director of Customer Service Vincent Passafiumi said. This was probably one of the oddest we've ever dealt with, and also one of the most challenging. To be able to get an outcome that we did as a team and see that Polaris will go to a home, to a family that will give him a good life is a really special moment for me. Almost 30 United employees applied to adopt Polaris. And with that, there is so much good in this world and in this industry. And to have Captain Dale and his family adopt this abandoned animal is very heartwarming. And That's this awesome. time of year when yeah. family comes first and we celebrate togetherness and we you know, share how we're thankful for each other, Hearing this and seeing that the dog that was abandoned found a home 
a deserving home is is very heartwarming. Yeah. Congratulations. News. That's awesome. Absolutely. Love dogs. I like cats too, although I can't be around them because I'm definitely allergic to them, but um, dogs, love them to death. It's great to see them go to a good home. Oh, 100%. Now, I, I love my dogs. I asked you guys earlier in the week, uh, you know, what were your favorite moments from season four? Let's start with Alex. Alex, out of this last year, season four of the Squawk I Didn't podcast, have you had a favorite show? I haven't had a specific one, uh, mainly because like it's it you know, I, I think my favorite moment was um I think it was like episode two or three of my journey through the training at Sandpiper that you extended the invite to me. So I think that was my favorite moment was actually being a part of the show and becoming uh a co-host with uh you gentlemen. Well, that's nice. Like that, that to me. So remember how Tony was saying at the beginning of the show that like he got to spend his time on APG and, you know, like, oh, they don't get to do guest hosts very often and stuff like that. This to me was my like, I, don't get me wrong. I still love APG and I love opposing bases. So I'm going to plug them. I love them to death. But this was my show because this was the show I was listening to about what was going on from transitional journey to the airlines. So this was my heroes. You guys were my guys that I looked up to. And yet here I am on the show with the both of you. You know, so, it's funny how miracles do happen. Hey, <laughs> dreams do come true. That one. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's, it's just, it's just another example on how I've been saying for the last four or five years on this broadcast and how probably something that was taught to me by my very first flight instructor, Luca DeFort. Luca, if you're out there in Italy flying around, um, thank you because you were probably one of the major reasons that I continued on this profession, changed careers and, you know, paid my dues and went through all the hardships I did to get here. And, and you really did put out there that this is a small industry and Very. regardless of you, how you feel about the person sitting next to you in the flight deck or even around the, the FBO or the flight school or out on the flight line or out, you know, flying for a company, your boss even. I mean, you never know who's going to end up being your boss in the future. Who, you know, you never know who you're going to have to fly with in the future. So don't burn your bridges. You know, be the better person. Uh, be the adult and be kind. Let things go. Learn to forgive. And really try to just maintain that a professionalism and a standard out there. And when you can give back, mentor, give advice, spend 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes with someone on the phone that you've never met and just give them your two cents. That's not critical. That's objective. Do it because that is what makes a leader. And Alex, to have you on the show, you know, it, it's been a pleasure to have your feedback, to follow your story and to, to, you know, to have you, we met, you were a CFI building your time. And here you are now a, a cocky son of a bitch, Embraer 175 pilot. <laughs> you fit right in, dude. You fit right in. <laughs> you know, it's like, hey, I just want to put out, we met about a year ago in person yeah. a year ago. Wow. And look what can change in the matter of a year. 
Yeah. That's awesome. You know, and maybe someday Alex is going to be my chief pilot. I don't know. Yeah. So yeah, definitely. I mean, I was on the phone before the show for about 30 minutes with a frontier airlines flight attendant, um, asking me advice that she's working on her ratings and, and what flight school and what opportunities and what maybe advice I had for her. And it was an honor to talk to her. I, you know, I, if I just help just this much and sway her career into something lucrative and positive, then better for me, better for her, better for everyone. So Tony, thank you, you, Alex. You did that. You did that for me. And that's what, if I can pay it forward by doing the same thing for the younger generations, which I do, I do have people texting me and talking to me from flight schools. Uh, there was a guy that I met, um, a while ago when I was in ATP CTP in Dallas, who recognized me from the show from our yeah, my yeah. only time that I'd been on there was the interview that Tony and I did the discovery flight with. And he recognized me and him and I still keep in contact. Uh, Keith, if you're hearing this, when you hear this podcast, I want you to text me and let me know how you're doing. Please. Yeah. And as a matter of fact, where in the world is Keith? He's, he's literally texting me right now. Um, and he's, there's some major turbulence over the Los Angeles Metroplex right now, according to WSI. I'm kind of looking at this screenshot he just sent me. He's coming in from, uh, well, I don't know where, where is uh, YSSY airport? Let's see if I can find this out here. Canadian land? YSSY. Why would be Canada, I believe. Uh, I'm not too sure. Sydney. He's coming Sydney. in from Sydney. So he's oh. he's flying in from Sydney, or he flew in from Sydney, um, and he's heading to uh, DFW, 777. Or actually, no, he's heading to LAX, 777 guy. The alternate is DFW. Um, and yeah, he's looking at it. Um, he just sent me a screenshot, and yeah, it's, it's pretty ugly. It's all... Oh, yeah. Can't really see it with the green... Yeah. yeah. Stuff. Um, but yeah, you know, uh, that's another one. Uh, Keith saw him in the crew room. He's like, hey, you're Aviator Tony, huh? Like, Have we flown together? Yeah. No, oh, I'm Triple Seven Captain. I listen to your podcast. I have a podcast too. <laughs> Small world. That's cool. You know? I know. It's it's crazy. It's happening to me too in, in some of the uh, most least likely, you know, places. Somebody, oh, hey, I recognize you from somewhere. Hey, you're on that podcast with Tony, right? I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, we're so grateful. All, a listener yeah. out there, all five of you, uh, we are so grateful. Thank you so seven. much. Seven. It's awesome. Seven now. Oh, it's up to seven. Yeah. Yeah. Rob, yeah. Uh, wow. any any favorite particular show or guest or any moments? That, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I'll get to my favorite, but one of the best shows that I had was the most recent one with Captain Elmore. I mean, just to hear his story and his victory over cancer uh, was amazing, you know, and yeah. his, uh, his true warrior spirit showed through, um, you know, his whole story. So that was definitely one of my favorite, but my very favorite one was uh, episode 108, which we did back in May. That's when we had Captain Adelia Roberts. Yes. Mm. Her yeah. story was just amazing. You know, just from how she, you know, came to America on the back of her dad crossing the Rio Grande when she was, you know, yeah, five, six years old or whatever it was. And then to go through her whole, you know, childhood wanting to uh, become a pilot only to be told no at every point, yeah. you know, along the way. Yeah. And, um, 
you know, just to finally just say, look, I want to be a pilot. And somebody had, you know, just happened to be with an earshot of her conversation when she got let down again at a major flight school yeah. to tell her, look, you can still do this. You know, this is what you need to do. And she, she did it. And holy crap, did she just literally take off from that point, you know, CFI mm-hmm. got hired on at an airline, became a captain, became the chief pilot and flowed over and be upgraded. And here she is the captain of a, of an Airbus. Yeah. So very inspirational. And that's huge, man. That's awesome. That, that was my favorite yeah. show. Yeah. Yeah. All those shows were just huge for me. Um, Adelia's YouTube clip is the, headlining clip whenever you go to the channel if you've never been to the our youtube channel at uh, squawk i podcast on youtube um her if you've never watched a video the the introduction page comes up and her clip comes up right on top uh, that inspired me it inspired me on so many ways um again uh, i enjoyed uh the episode where we had uh captain keith episode 111 or flight 111 um i really was honored uh, episode flight 112 it's our honor because that's the flight where i explained how the captain and i that i was flying with that week uh were able to participate in a uh a what's it called the uh, not a memorial flight but it was the flight where we had the remains of one of our fallen soldiers on board we got to carry the flag oh yeah and that Good flag was going to be the the flag for the unit and I think it was called an honor flight. Yeah. Yeah. But, I think it's probably called the honor flight. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and to, to witness the procedure, you know, both of us yeah. was very emotional. Um, yeah. you know, and, and yeah, uh, the Kevin's journey, his fight. I mean, I mean, I, I was privy to that information, um, as it was happening and out of respect for his privacy, I never said a thing, um, because one, uh, he was going through the journey and, uh, as soon as he was in the clear, he agreed that yeah absolutely i'll tell my story if it helps anyone on the show um yeah. but i gotta tell you i gotta say uh, flight 117 the leadership toolbox that one really stood out for me and on that one that was a kind of a uh, back to the old school of podcasting where i just had two microphones in my hotel room sitting mm-hmm. on the floor uh yeah. with with uh a captain who i had just met that week and he and i had gone down to uh, Suriname. Neither of us have it or been there. It was one of those red eye to Miami and then red eye to Suriname and then stay there for like 30 hours. Um, Captain Greg Jones, general, retired Greg Jones. Um, his explanation of the leadership toolbox on how we put these little things that we learn throughout our life in our leadership toolbox so that when we need them, we can just reach into our toolbox and pull out this tool to help us to lead to provide to you know just to fly an operation as professionally as we can that one stood out for me too i mean they're yeah. they're, they're all good and they're it's all I my baby that one that right was really good that yeah. yeah yeah that was a good one so you know i'm i'm really happy that this podcast has not fizzled out like so many do. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I'm one of the most hard-headed, bone-headed, determined sons of bitches I know. So I'm not going to let that happen. I'm no. not going out without a fight, baby. <laughs> uh, but, you know, the, the season five is going to start here uh, with the coming of the new year. And I've been talking with quite a few people. We have some very exciting shows 
show ideas coming up. Um, and we want to hear from you. Uh, we do appreciate all of the support that we have received over the years. And we just want to say thank you to all of you that are listening, that are that are sharing this podcast with others and that have written in and given us a little glimpse of their journeys. So thank you. I want to wrap up the show today by saying thank you to Alex and Rob for joining me today. It's always a pleasure to have you gentlemen on board. This is, you know, kind of like sitting around with my my brothers in aviation and just talking about the journey. I look forward to doing this after I retire, maybe with some some nice whiskey and a, and a good cigar or something. I got to start smoking cigars. Did you enjoy <laughs> listening to our flight today? We hope so. And we hope that you pay it forward by sharing this podcast with your family and your friends. Make sure you subscribe and follow to the Squawk Eyed In podcast on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. Also, check us out on the YouTubes. I know that the, the whole podcast isn't there, but we have a lot of short videos and we do our documentary um, segments on there too. I'm still watching that LAX one over and over again. <laughs> I did a great <laughs> job good. on that one, yeah. Um, we also love re- uh, receiving listener feedback, so you can send us an email or even some audio feedback via the website, and that's at aviatortony.com. That's Alpha Victor, the number eight, Romeo Tango, Oscar November Yankee.com. Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram users can also find us under Squawk Out In Podcast. And one final thank you for 2022. Thank you to all of you for taking the time to listen to these grateful aviators. Keep the dirty side down out there, be safe, and take care of each other. Bye, y'all. We'll see ya. See ya. Happy, Happy New Year. Happy Christmas. See ya. Happy Kwanzaa. All right. Happy Hanukkah. Some, let me hit some buttons, boys. Thank you. Melikaliki Maka.
different kind of flying. flying.